Attention, podcast listener. We've got an exciting new podcast coming just for patrons of patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Talking Futurama Season 2 Part 1 has begun exclusively for our $5 and up patrons on the Talking Simpsons Network. That's the first 10 episodes of Futurama coming to you once a week. So just sign up for $5 a month at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons and you'll get Talking Futurama Season 2 and all of our limited miniseries, including the entirety of Talking Futurama Season 1. That's 13 episodes. That is patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Now please enjoy the rest of this podcast. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy ho everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons where a simple cupcake will bring us no pleasure. I'm your host, the Jazz Hole Bouncer, Bob Mackey. And this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who is here with me today? Henry Gilbert, and I swear I only need these quarters for laundry. And who do we have on the line? <laughs> oh, hi, I'm Kate. I didn't have a quote prepared, but I love Lisa. Aww. We all love Lisa. <laughs> and today's episode is Moaning Lisa. Every day at noon a bell rings and they heard us in here for feeding time. Sit around like cattle, chewing our cuts, dreading the inevitable... <laughs> Food fight! Today's episode aired on February 11th, 1990, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real-world history. <gasps> oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby! Nelson Mandela is released from prison after 27 years. Please hammer Don't Hurt Him hits record stores around the nation, and over a year after its release in Japan... Super Mario Brothers 3 is released on the Nintendo Entertainment System in the United States. So obviously the most historically important item on this list is Mario 3. Yes, Mario 3. Very <laughs> important. <laughs> no, I mean the Nelson yes. Adele thing, yes. Very, very important. Very good. It, it helped uh, end apartheid in South Africa. A great thing. Uh, now, now, let's talk about Super Mario Brothers 3. Uh, yes, we actually did a whole Retronauts about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look that up, it I was... Uh, that, right? Yeah, it was about three years ago. It was you, yeah. me, uh, Ray Barnhold, of course, and Jeremy Parrish. We talked for over an hour and a half about that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what else I need to say about it because it's available on every Switch if you subscribe to that online service, and you should. Mm-hmm. When this episode aired, I was probably glued to my TV seeing the Mario com- the Mario Mario commercial of the children across the world, or at least America, forming a Mario face by standing together. And there were no uh, street dates or anything, so I have to assume February 11th is when like the East Coast got got it as it rolled across the country on trucks so uh from my research the ninth is the firm date a lot of or is the accepted date on a lot of wikis i think it's firmer because it was such a major release i think it is firmer than a lot of the grayer mm. releases of games in the u.s but still yeah that's uh, february 9th through 11th like basically that week is the release of super mario 3 i don't want to go on too long about this but uh, it's interesting <laughs> to see how much the market has changed where a game like this would not come out in February. Yo, this would no. be like a Christmas game, a fall game. Like February is where uh, often you can put a game to just surprise people with, but nothing this big. So it's interesting to see how things have changed. And and it's wild that for over a year, Japan had the game before uh, the U.S. did. And I believe it's close to a year before 
Mario 3 gets released in Europe. So mm. it's a very staggered, interesting release of that. But. And it didn't take very long for the threat of Hammer hurting us to end. <laughs> uh, you know, he was good till he had too legit to quit. He was still good on his I'm second a album. Big but. fan of the Adams Family rap. Oh, that's uh, it's they one do of what the greatest, they want to do. Yeah, <laughs> say what they want to say. I can, I will agree with that. <laughs> the Adams Family is living out loud. <laughs> it's so good. Well, Kate, you have any uh, Mario 3 memories in particular? As I know, you're a bit of a gamer yourself. I am. Um, this was what the February uh, 1990. You said. Yep. Okay, so I was one and a half years old. Oh, um, wow. so Terrible <laughs> at video games, no doubt. <laughs> I I actually I didn't own uh, a game console until I was 26. I didn't have them growing up. I was an only child of parents who were uh, very proud of being very good at Scrabble and reading a lot. <laughs> um, so and like we didn't have a lot of money, so I I didn't. I never owned a gaming system. It was always just like at other people's houses. And uh, I at one point got a PS2, I think. It was like a big gift. And then, uh, but my parents wouldn't get me any games other than the one who, that came with it, which was this weird like Prince of Persia ripoff thing. Mm-hmm. And I'd never played a game before, so I had no idea how to play it. And so I stopped after a certain point. <laughs> and then my mom took it back. <laughs> She was like, well, you're not using this. It was expensive. And then, yeah, I didn't have another one until I lived uh, with, with my ex who, uh, who had a PS4 three i think and yeah now i have like a switch and i have a ps4 and and i you know pc game i game a lot now Mm. but i didn't grow up with nintendo so uh a lot of you know like i'm playing luigi's mansion (laughs) and there's so many references and things in it that i'm just like i have no idea (laughs) any of these characters are i don't know what any of this means and my partner is like you know has been a gamer forever and Mm. you know so they're a very good translator well about half of this episode is about the shame of being an adult gamer so this is not a tangent (laughs) a man of your age (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Kate, I have some of my favorite stuff in your uh, your comic strip. Valley Ghouls is you and your partner playing Switch together in bed. Me and my husband uh, do that quite a lot, actually. So uh, we really, we really do. It's a lot. I mean, Cohen's been playing uh, Witcher Three on PS4 lately, so I got Witcher Three on my Switch. So we've been playing it at the same time, wearing headphones, (laughs) or sometimes they're playing it on the TV and I have headphones on, and so I get Geralt in stereo. which is very funny. Yeah, we've been doing that. I just finished God of War, or at least the main storyline in God of War. Yeah, I have a hard time doing side quests once the main story is finished. I'm a side so quest addict. At. That's why I love and the And I'm Oxa waiting games. for Animal Crossing, so you know. Oh, just God. Time. Yeah. We all are. Uh, mm-hmm. I played, you played, I think, even more Dragon Quest Builders 2 than I did. But, yeah. But as <laughs> I, I got to like 180 hours in that game. Wow, that rules. Man. Yeah. Uh, uh, gaming chat has to end soon. But okay. I, sorry, I, have sorry, taken, sorry. I have taken a 20 year break from Animal Crossing. I'm ready for this one to be my next one. It was mm. like GameCube, a tiny bit of the DS one, then nothing. Until oh. now, so I am ready to jump back in. Yeah, I'm very excited. And waste, waste so much time. Yeah, I'm gonna I never played it when other people were playing it. I, I got Same. it on, Owen got it for me on a 3DS like last Christmas. And so I had to go on Reddit and find other people who were still Aww. playing. So yeah, excited to be part of the zeitgeist this time. <laughs> one, and yes, welcome back officially, Kate Leth. This is, I think, your third one on here. It is. Mm. It is. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. And uh, so, yes, as, as you said earlier about your age, you there weren't watching this episode when it aired uh, live 30 years How ago. How does she know that? Oh, well, <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> 
but- it's very possible. I mean, I, I said, I think the last time I'm as old as the Simpsons, like I'm pretty much the same age. So it was a lot of stuff that I saw. It was probably in the background. Um, but yeah, I saw a lot in syndication when I was like five and six. So, so. do you remember seeing this one as a kid? Oh yeah. Over and over and over again. Cause the TV station we had ASN, which was like this very local network in Atlantic Canada or no, we didn't live there yet. Cause I didn't move to Nova Scotia until I was 10. So we lived in Ontario. I don't remember how we were watching it, <laughs> but, uh, they only really had, you know, the first couple seasons in syndication. So they would just play them over and over and over again. So I saw this episode, you know, a dozen times at least. And I mean, did the, the story uh, touch you, uh, personally? I know, you know, we've, we all have struggles with depression sometimes and anxiety. Yeah, I think it was one that uh, hit me more as I got older. Like, you know, I didn't really recognize it. I mean, I was, I've always been melancholy, but, you know, <laughs> it got to me more in, I, I, I want to say preteens. And then teens, I was like, I'm cooler than that. Um, and then now watching it again today for the first time in probably a decade or something, um, I was like, oh, man, <laughs> I feel this. <laughs> I will say up front, what makes it not as special for me uh, upon this reviewing is that they've done better versions of this story, but I think it's still very important this early in the history of television that there is a story about a child being dis- depressed for non-specific reasons. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know who wrote this tweet, uh, but it blew my mind when I read it and I always think about it. It's like, what if all the times you were really bored as a kid, you were actually depressed? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had, you know, I've, I have clinical depression and like it's it runs of my family everybody does we're just we're a sad people so this one i think was one that like my mom really resonated with when i was younger and then you know i i kind of got into it because i definitely had this but i was like way stronger add as a kid and sort of grew into my depression (laughs) so (laughs) Uh, yeah no that uh i i was sad as a kid but i don't think i had uh, a way to say it either like same with just like a mix of anxiety and depression that i you know got me into like existentialist dread in in (laughs) high school eventually like once i some teacher talked about you know like sartre Camus, and kafka and i was like oh these things speak to me i feel these ways and i did and i felt very smart feeling those things too and reading those articles uh, a trio of pleasures yes oh so yeah i just had teen gothdom so Mm. i i had like you know uh johnny the homicidal maniac oh yeah (laughs) and like tim burton and stuff like that it was much more the uh, theatrical sadness Mm-hmm. Oh no! I mean, yes, we. I look to those things for sad, and all the sad boys and girls in mm-hmm. those in those things too. Yeah, I. Uh, it, but you're right, Bob. They they've done. This is kind of a template for later Lisa episodes, and they're 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 figuring out Lisa. But as a trailblazing episode for what they are gonna do with Lisa and what they do with her, like I think they really figured her out yeah. a lot in this. It's not yeah. quite as satisfying as other early Lisa ones, like um, Lisa Substitute or Homer uh, Lisa the Greek. Like yeah. I think those are more fulfilling because of the way they wrap up like they're still learning things to be fair i don't want to be too unfair to this episode but talking to you before this recording like the act breaks are just like a deflation just like (laughs) just like a slow fade out on something and the ending is just like oh let's just watch this song like it's not as punchy as you expect uh Mm. the show to be such a first season though and you know from from my limited experience in writers rooms out here it's like first seasons are so hard you don't know and it's not until you watch the whole thing back it's not until it's all finished until you get kind of an audience reaction that you really get a feel for who these characters are. And most of the time they're writing it before they even 
you know, know the cadence of the voice actors. They don't really know Mm -hmm. what they're going to bring to the performance. So that affects the way you write it. So I totally get it. And for what it is, for being episode six, like, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. super early, the first one we're really focusing on Lisa, like, it doesn't pretty good job for yeah. for what it is i was surprised actually there were moments where i was like oh wow that's that's really insightful <laughs> no you're right i think they did learn a lot from the season because season two is a lot punchier a lot faster and they probably looked at this and said you know bleeding gums murphy could play the saxophone for 20 seconds or we could write three jokes to put in other <laughs> scenes you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah thinking of like the conception of this episode when they talk about how it was like james l brooks uh, coming up with the idea and, and assigning it to writers i think back to our very recent interview with Jay Kogan where you know he looked back and lamented on the fratish qualities of the writers room at the time which yeah. again had no women in it and we've heard why that that was a Sam Simon uh, actual call not an accident but which you know Kogan and other Simpsons writers from then have said they regret and wish they had done it differently but I can see why James L. Brooks who's you know uh, as as a writer is famous for writing uh, great women, that he is the one to tell them like we got to do something with these girl characters. Like, yeah, they, we we need to do something. And this episode came from an idea he wanted to do on Taxi about a male character. He wanted to do an episode of Taxi where Alex is sad. Alex is the Judd Hirsch character, but he never got to do that because Taxi was you know not a popular show. It, yeah. it didn't last very long. So uh, within the writers' room, people did not envy Algene and Mike Reese for being assigned this episode because it's like ah, good luck with that I've got the fun camping story I've got the uh, the fun France story you've got like the Lisa's sad episode <laughs> good luck so funny because if I were on a show that would be the one that I would be like fighting for <laughs> Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, girl angst? Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's unfortunate that like there's multiple stories, uh, multiple commentaries where they say like, "Oh, I didn't like getting assigned the Marge script or I didn't like getting assigned the Lisa script from the the classic seasons, but I at least I think, you know, Gina Reese or say John Vitti who wrote Lisa's Substitute, like even if they were afraid of not doing it right, I think they they executed it pretty well for being, you know, dudes assigned a script. They they weren't into at first. Yeah, I I like it. And this one, again, like the character is not really super formed. She doesn't feel like a kid, really. She kind of has this, you know, adult adult voice of sadness coming out of this <laughs> second grader. But there, there are good moments. There's genuine, you know, and the moments between her and Marge, I think, are really sweet. So they, you know, they tapped into something. Yeah, I, I think the, the best parts of this in the Lisa story to me are when they identify like mother-daughter situations. Like it, it gave them a space to expand a ton on both Lisa and Marge, like in the shorts and I think in production in order to this point lisa had been pretty much just written as smarter bart Mm -hmm. and marge had only been written as like now homer why don't we do this like (laughs) she's she's which is the very bare shallow way every character was written in the shorts but they uh, lisa marge didn't get expanded on like homer and bart did i think in the previous episodes until this point and so i think you know with the saxophone stuff with with marge's childhood memories with just them letting yardley smith do what she's really good at i think it was for the writers to learn like oh lisa can be this Mm -hmm. or we oh she has traits yeah she has traits (laughs) and personality (laughs) and i love you know and this seeds so much of what 
drives Marge and, you know, later in life makes her such a more interesting character to me is that, like, they sort of embrace, and obviously this is this is really early, but sometimes, you know, a couple throwaway lines in an early episode become the basis for, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, this is all we know about this person, so let's expand upon, you know, these, these few things. And I, I love that so much of, over time, they explore this concept of her being one-dimensional as a result of being raised to be one-dimensional. Mm. And... I think that's really interesting because it's like, you know, smile, be be friendly, like hide <laughs> hide your sadness. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I you know, it's it's unfortunate, but I do think it's it's so real for moms of a specific era, women of a specific era, and I liked that in this episode. Mm-hmm. No, me me too. I think this this is secretly like a big expansion for Marge episode 2, and this is another one that the DVDs for season 1 have the script on it. Yeah. I I paged through the whole table draft script and there aren't as many additions as there were in some of the previous episodes. This is all like it's say 80% unchanged from the table draft but some of the additions are really telling and I'll, I'll mention them in sequence when Ooh, we get I can't to wait. it but yeah. yeah cool. The directors and writers we've already talked about before too. Yeah so. Algene and Mike Reese Algene of course has run the show for the past 20 plus years and Wes Archer is the director and he has done so much uh, including you know being supervising director on King of the Hill for a decade. He's currently on Rick and Morty. Is he still on Rick and Morty? He, he does occasional Rick yeah. and Morty work but I think he's still he's going around. Well honestly they're, they're making 70 episodes of rick and morty in in one production yeah. order, so i would bet oh he's God. pretty hard at work on rick and morty yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah please follow him on uh instagram i think it's archer mation mm. and he does commissions he'll like paint you a bobby hill oh damn yeah i gotta get into this <laughs> uh but i guess uh why do we get straight into the episode it begins you know i think with a a gutsy opening of just like lisa silently staring at herself in the mirror and sighing like, yeah I, I like that it's one of those uh, moments that they made me glad that richard uh, gibbs is no longer on the show trash just like there's like a tiny concerto of sadness playing in the sink as we see lisa just so (laughs) overdone i think like that could have been played over silence so much better. I think Alf Clausen would not have gone that uh, on the nose, I think. I really like that her toothpaste is glum. Glum, yes. Oh, glum. I missed that. Oh, that's yeah. great. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, 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 you're right. The overdramatic music choices. It's like, just... boo, boo, boo. <laughs> you know. He had it... to earn that paycheck. True. It's like, uh, I got to write music for something. <laughs> he gets paid by the note. Well, uh, well, like Kate said, you know, the first season is so much learning and animation. And that's, it's just finding your tone. You don't know that this music isn't the best way to play music in the world of the simpsons until you try it and see it doesn't work i like homer when homer is banging on the door he's like did you fall in there's <laughs> he's got big goofy teeth and there's a lot of the big goofy teeth that wes archer i think in particular really liked drawing or having his artist do when he directed he does and uh this is they're still figuring out the layout of the simpsons house and i know from watching about twenty thousand hours of the simpsons <laughs> that uh so homer and marge have an ensuite bathroom and then there's another bathroom on the second floor that's not connected to a bedroom that the kids use. So yes. in this early version of the house, there is only one bathroom on the second floor. Okay, because yeah. I actually made a note about that. That was like, why does this house only have one bathroom? Because I know for a fact it has at least three bedrooms. Yeah. Like dining room, living room, rump- rumpus room, <laughs> which they referenced, but we don't see. So it's like that house would have two bathrooms, at least like one and a half. Yeah, you know? I, I looked at uh, like diagrams of the house too, made by fans. I'm like, I don't think there's a bathroom on the first floor, but there are two on the second floor. Right. Yeah. That makes and we've seen so much of both bathrooms like the kids bathroom is like powder blue Mm -hmm. and the homer and marge's bathroom is pink yeah well and going in production order for some enchanted evening the original first episode 
multiple scenes in there's two different bathrooms the the whole scene yeah is, you're right yeah that they they have the an adult bathroom an adult bathroom and the kids bathroom. <laughs> they go number three in there <laughs> when i when i see the kids bathroom i it always takes me back to the australia episode like yeah that's that's what i always think of when i think of the kids bathroom uh i guess they just wanted to do a typical there's a lot of very just like typical sitcom humor about like the kids in the in the bathroom too long you know like just things that would have been on a, a family sitcom in 1960 or 1990. I guess, uh, you know, you should read it as maybe Marge is currently occupying the other one. Okay. That's, that's what. The now I feel good now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that would make sense. I was on the edge of my seat over this bathroom, uh, bathroom gates. I really thought fun. about it a lot. I was like, <laughs> I don't think this is ever really an issue later on other than between Bart and Lisa. So. I, th- I think too like they're not uh, th- there's not a ton of jokes about whole needing to use the bathroom in the Simpsons house either I think but uh, yeah that's <laughs> much more of a Bob's Burgers thing <laughs> <laughs> oh man that whole episode where Bob stuck on the toilet that glued uh, to the toilet yeah. one of my all time maybe they're shows. watching Mary with the Children and they're like that's what a Fox sitcom needs uh, toilets <laughs> you gotta get the toilets in there <laughs> I, uh, I remember on that show like I watched a lot of it recently because um, there was a Mary with the Children parody on, on Talking Futurama like Al Bundy would walk down from the second floor with a newspaper like as if he just took a shit and the audience would cheer that's how many scenes would start wow they were they were applauding his wow. just uh, bowel movement it was uh, an amazing time for television <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to plug in classic Simpsons commercials for that I can find when we do these revisited ones. I put them in the uh, the, the breaks. And when I found the one for Morning Lisa, it is 10 seconds long and it is just the opening scene and only to show that the joke is Bart steals the bathroom from Homer. It has nothing to do with Lisa. Lisa mm. does not uh, really matter in the promotion of the episode. So. God, it's like Fury Road. They're really burying the lead in those ads. Uh, yeah, I get. I, I mean, if I'm a you know sexist marketing guy at Fox, and I'm handed this, what I, when I think it's like it's Bart Mania time, it's the Bart Show. Why am I getting this girl stuff? Actually, yeah. ba- uh, Married with Children would air uh, right after the show, so it was the bathroom hour on Fox, oh, right. <laughs> toilet time. <laughs> God. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yes, in our first clip here, right after the uh, the mostly silent bathroom scene, uh, we have Homer's search for his car keys. Warm. Now cold. Colder. Ice cold. You know where my keys are? No, I'm talking about your breakfast. Did you try the rumpus room? Rumpus room? Great idea. Oh, Dad. Boom. Oh, dear. I'm sorry, everybody, but I've only got two cupcakes for the three of you. Well, Mom, one of us has scarfed down more than enough cupcakes over the past three decades to keep it... Bart! Just take mine. A simple cupcake will bring me no pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah! So once again, cupcakes are the currency in this world in season one. I did write down in my notes, that cupcake is a muffin. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, where were the, uh, so what was the last? Bart the General. Bart the General. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. So there was a real cupcake runner. Just like uh, cupcakes are the most delicious food item. They soon moved on to donuts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's funny that it is cupcakes. I just, they're colored brown on the frosting. And 
and the, you know, cup. And I was like, that's not what, cu- even chocolate cupcakes don't look like that. They look like yeah. bran muffins, yeah. yeah. They do look like bran muffins. It is really funny to imagine them fighting over that. Yeah, I think it's a, a real miscommunication just in the, in this, at some point in the animation. Like, because especially if you're just going with like the, what, the standard like cupcake you would see drawn and say like Scooby-Doo or whatever, it would be white frosting with like a pink cherry on Oh yeah, top. I was, I was like, thinking yeah. cherry yeah, for sure. cherry. To signify, I've never eaten a cupcake with a cherry on top. No, no. I the I I have a tattoo of a cupcake on the back of my neck because we were all eighteen once, <laughs> and uh, I think it has a cherry on top. Oh my god, I can't remember. I need to take a picture of this. I literally don't know what my own tattoo looks like. No cherry, no, just okay. icing. Okay, okay. and you sprinkles. Dodged, dodged a bullet there. there. <laughs> oh yeah, sprinkles. They should add. Yeah, I. Oh yeah, an update on the cupcake bit. You had mentioned the uh, Tiger Electronics game, uh, Cupcake Crisis. Bart Simpson's Cupcake Crisis. <laughs> I I looked it up, and you can get a out of the box one on eBay for like thirty bucks, pretty mm. much. I I was tempted, but might have to expense that <laughs> to do an episode about it. You know what? Maybe I will buy it. I did while looking at it. I actually did buy a 1990 vintage kitchen towel for of uh, featuring the simpsons which might be arriving this very day actually Ooh, exciting <laughs> i need practical simpsons things i have enough simpsons toys around the house but like an, uh, a simpsons thing that could also do something in the kitchen that is useful you can wipe your hands on some of the dolls right <laughs> <laughs> this is the wet. point i'm at with collectibles is that you know i have enough at this point that it yeah it has to be like a cookie jar or mm. you know <laughs> like something i can do something with <laughs> I was so excited going to the Star Wars land a couple weeks ago uh, to get, you know, cups and coasters. And mm. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're worried about buying too many trinkets, anything can be a paperweight. Mm. Just think oh, of it that way. True. I it's, love mugs now like because uh, I drink a lot of coffee and tea. So I can I have, I have a lot of very good mugs. When I first <laughs> moved into my old apartment, when I had like just gotten to L.A., I had a housewarming party. And it's because like no one ever knows what to give you, especially when you're in, you know, your 20s. So no one knows mm. how be an adult yet i was just like just bring me a mug just bring me an interesting mug because i don't have any and it was great because people did i got one from haunted mansion i got like a really cool like pokemon one and so yeah great idea if you ever move uh to a different country and have no (laughs) mugs i have a lot of mugs uh i only wash and use the same one every time i have coffee it's the lisa simpson (laughs) overachiever mug and i have so many other nice mugs but i just i'm so used to drinking coffee out of that (laughs) i have a buffy one that my ex gave me that says kiss the librarian um Mm. which is very good which spike drank blood out of and then another one that's just covered in stuff from you know nova scotia which is very cute i mean a mug that that's so much better than a mug that just like had the buffy logo on it or something like yeah, yeah. i know, like i love my merchandise to feel in universe you mm. know that's so much more interesting to me than just like someone's face on a t-shirt or whatever <laughs> if it looks like it's from the thing that's that's my jam The Simpsons will be right back. Sunday. What's the problem? You fall in? They're America's <laughs> funniest new family. Sorry, Dad. Women and children first. What the? The Simpsons in an all-new episode. 
Whether you have a bratty brother or enjoy Last Cupcakes, we want to thank you for listening to this week's podcast of Talking Simpsons. A huge, huge thank you to our returning guest, Kate Leth. Thank you so much for doing the show, as always. And did you know, if you're a new listener, this podcast is supported by Patreon 100% by listeners. It's how me and Bob do Talking Simpsons every week is our full-time job. And the same goes for our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, where we cover a different animated series once a week. Now, folks who'd like to support us can sign up for five bucks a month at Patreon.com, but you get so much more than our thanks for your support. You get access to over a hundred exclusive podcasts only for Patreon subscribers. Our many exclusive mini-series where me and Bob cover shows in the same way as Talking Simpsons. Shows like The Critic, the first 23 episodes of Futurama, the first season of King of the Hill, and another really cool mini-series coming your way soon. And an ever-growing list so far 20 interviews with folks who have worked on the simpsons over the years including our most recent one with jay kogan who worked on season one through four of the simpsons and he tells us some really interesting tidbits about that time there you can only hear all that if you're a five dollar and up subscriber at patreon.com slash talking simpsons so visit there today And if you want an experience as premium as the Robert Goulet Destroyer Arcade Machine, you need to sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. All that $5 stuff, you get that. Plus, our monthly What a Cartoon Movie podcast, where me and Bob cover in extra super detail a different animated feature film once a month. Our most recent one, the underrated Disney film, The Great Mouse Detective. Before that, The Iron Giant, The Animatrix, Toy Story, Nightmare Before Christmas, A Goofy Movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Beavis and Butthead to America, Cowboy Bebop the Movie, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, and so many more. You are missing out if you aren't hearing those 50 plus hours of exclusive $10 and up content at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. So please consider signing up at the premium level today, right now. Uh, and yeah, this whole bit here of like everyone's doing their morning stuff and they're not even noticing that Lisa is like despondent or just silent and empty. I like the gag that they should probably go like, why doesn't Lisa want to eat a cupcake and just gives up? But instead, Bart and Homer just high five and they're like, yeah, <laughs> cupcakes. They're such idiots. <laughs> I also, I read the search for the keys as... Bart knew they were there the whole time and he was mad that Lisa like ended the game by telling uh, Homer where the keys were. Though I guess he does go like, oh, Homer, like more like he's like, oh, you didn't know they were there. Jeez. Like there's a snowball two joke in there, which I think is like the first time they've used that cat for a joke in the show production order oh, well, I totally missed this what was the yeah, same uh, just that Snowball 2 jumps off the couch when Homer's uh, lifting up couch cushions okay. to look for his keys 
That's uh, I mean it's not a great joke, but it did. I still want to exist. It's like yeah, oh, they did a joke with a cat. That's and, funny. Yeah. Uh, I think the Simpsons writers just aren't cat owners, so that's why there's never cat jokes. Get that cat out of the way. <laughs> uh, and another thing I did notice in the Homer's search for his keys is that they're still doing. Not in his normal outfit, but at this time when they do him in work outfit with the tie, yeah. they draw like a lump of neck fat over his collar that's like really distracting. To yeah, me. he should be like a very streamlined upside down light bulb. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Weird choices. And uh, here's the first change from the script. In the script, the original scene doesn't end with Lisa just walking out in the high five, which I think is the better place to end it. Right after the high five, Homer goes like, oh, now I can't find my wallet. And it's a new search begins. Hmm. So, you know, that's not a bad joke either. But uh, I can see why they cut it. And then right after that is a major cut they did. Uh, there's like about a three-page scene that introduces the mean crosswalk guardian <laughs> uh, crossing guard. <laughs> Does I she have a name? Mrs. Gross. Okay. Oh, oh great. Yeah. Hate it. <laughs> yeah, she's she's just like, they don't really describe her too much, but she's somebody who says, like, cross already. And then Lisa goes, but there's there's cars everywhere. She's like, what, do you need me to hold your hand? Yes. And then, the, like, she smacks Lisa's behind with the stop with her uh, crossing guard God. sign and makes them walk. We like, lost so. Mrs. Gross. No I'm, Mrs. Gross. Yeah. I'm glad that they skipped that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's just cruelty to the children. There's not much more to it than that. Well, also, though, it doesn't fit with the established thing in the universe that the kids don't walk to school they take the bus with autos so oh yeah that's yeah. true maybe maybe they cut it more because of that than because mrs gross wasn't particularly funny or anything but yeah uh, if you're gonna have a crossing guard you have to have it like on bob's burgers where she's a witch oh know? right oh the right. wiccan crossing guard that's right oh yeah oh. yeah that's right it's really funny because it's like i when i come on this it's like i'm much more versed <laughs> in bob's burgers because i have it on it's like background, like comfort food for me. So it's always on. So it's sorry for the no, no. references okay. to the other sitcom family. I did want to talk about uh, Mr. Largo, though. Yeah, let's so talk about I listened him. to the commentary yeah. again. I, I like that guy. Uh, he's sort of a lost character. Like they remember him every five years, I think. Be like, oh, yeah, Lisa's got a teacher. But like uh, this was established as like a rival, like not a rival, but like a force of uh, authority for Lisa. That's why he's in the opening in yeah. every show. Like Lisa is pitted against Largo at every opportunity. Yeah, but no, it rarely comes up. And this, like, Largo was basically a way for Macarini to get revenge on an old mean teacher of his. <laughs> because he explained, like, oh, I had a really bad music teacher, a really mean one. Like, the first day of class was, the person was like, how many of you kids like the Beatles? Well, they can't sing, they can't play their instruments, and he just went on this long rant about why the Beatles are bad to all these little kids living in the 60s. Like, uh, that, like, a, just a joyless teacher, that is exactly who Largo was mm. supposed to be. But there's not a lot of nuance to that sort of a character, which which is why I could see they went more with like a Krabappel or a Hoover or a Skinner mm -hmm. or even a Chalmers. Like there's more going on with those characters than just like joyless in a non-interesting way. I feel like that teacher is that thing that Ira Glass says about how you have to get all the bad writing out before you can get to the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that teacher's like, yeah, I'm going to make a bad teacher. And that's like, oh, yeah, this is nothing. <laughs> I really agree that most creative work is, uh, you know, fueled by revenge. Mm -hmm. It certainly is for me. Uh, but it shouldn't end there. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I had a lot of bad teachers, but, you know, they were mostly interestingly bad. <laughs> mostly they just didn't want me to draw in class Aww. and haha, showed them. Showed them. Yeah, no, Largo, I think the most jokes they get out of Largo from like season three onward is about just the effeminacy with which Harry Shearer plays him. Yeah, like, they're just like li- lighter gay jokes. Yeah. Like, ew, a bug. Yes. Yeah. They, I mean, I believe, I can't remember if it was cut or if they kept it, but they just from talking about a commentary about him and Smithers being caught together, like driving somewhere, and he's like, Mm. Oh, I, I was just uh, getting a ride for my friend, is what Largo says. Like, so I don't know how like explicitly gay they've made him since then. They still barely use him because he's also such a season one character, like with his big head and crazy hair, he and his giant lip line that he really stands out when he shows up in a season thirty episode. I just like, like that they're forced <laughs> to keep him in every opening. Yeah, like yeah. Largo <laughs> front and center. There's no like no Flanders, no Skinner. If you remember when they um, when Lisa sews something in the family quilt in the Bouvier family quilt yeah it is Largo versus Murphy Murphy yeah so I think it's supposed to be like order and chaos is what they're uh representing as well perhaps if uh, if I want to get really artsy fartsy about it you know we mentioned that like uh last episode that Miss Hoover never appears until like late season two maybe they thought they're like well we don't need Lisa's second grade teacher Largo is her uh, you know teaching uh, the jokes will do any about her in in school would be with Largo. Yeah. No, I like Hoover more, even though she is not as developed as Kerbopal. I just like the very over it attitude yes. she has. She is so over She's it. fully dead inside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, in this scene, this is like in air order, we saw Lisa's speech to Selma and Patty about defending her dad of like, and he's my only male role model and blah, blah, blah. Like that big speech she had that is the reveal of like Lisa is deeper than you had first assumed. But in production order, this speech mm. here that Lisa gives uh, all about her empathy for the the downtrodden in America, the, this is kind of uh, the first time they show the inner workings of Lisa's mind. And I think it's, uh, it's a great scene. I, uh, here, I, I got the whole clip here. All right, class, from the top. One and two and three and There's no room for crazy bebop in my country, tis of thee. But, Mr. Largo, that's what my country's all about. What? I'm wailing out for the homeless family living out of its car, the Iowa farmer whose land has been taken away by unfeeling bureaucrats, the West Virginia coal miner coughing... Well, that's all fine and good, but, Lisa, (laughs) none of those unpleasant people are going to beat the recital next week. (laughs) Now, class, from the top, five, six, seven... I, I really like the statement they're making of like Largo going like, yes, yes, but shut down that. Feel- I don't feel anything for those yeah. people. Like we got to move on. So our first like whiff of Lisa as a political activist yeah. or caring and having uh, causes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. I think this really fits with the causes she would have and uh, that they'd eventually make jokes that she cares too much and is actually annoying and so, which don't like those jokes. No, I'm not the biggest fan of those jokes. 
The thing that uh, I was laughing about when I watched the scene is how much that band sounds like the band in uh, Nightmare Before Christmas when Jack's like oh, walking yeah. by them and they're doing the the just absolutely god awful renditions of of Jingle Bells, <laughs> like <laughs> super super flat. But it's sound. really similar to me. Yeah, it's this. I feel like is such a good tiny tiny way to to express that idea of like quashing any kind of creativity mm-hmm. in kids in public school because like damn that's real yeah the, this teacher sees a child expressing like extreme amount like incredibly mature things uh, that empathizes with people she'd you wouldn't expect an eight-year-old to have ever even heard of and he's just like yes 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 stop just yeah, like, this that. is a distraction. <laughs> Your oh, empathy yeah, is a distraction. Sure. Uh, and these, uh, I mean, this is also the first time in the show she's played the sax as well. It's It's been in the opening the whole time. So, you know, viewers know her as a sax player, but this is the first time it's mattered at all in the plot of an episode, which I think this shows like Gene and Reese, they know the sax is a great outlet for lisa and i think it's a big reason why they would later write the origin of lisa's saxophone in lisa's sax Mm -hmm. so here's a big change from the script that could have meant something entirely different for a major character in simpsons history oh so ralph is in this episode there is a character by the name of ralph he shows up he's the kid with the buzz cuts yeah with the Uh, flesh colored crew cut yes yeah uh which in script, they'd always write the name Ralph, and over time, that came to be the Ralph design they would use more in season three, and he'd shift to become the Ralph we all know and love by uh, season four, like in the Choo Choo Choose Me episode. But this is really the first appearance of Ralph, uh, and there's a like Ralph is really important to Gene and Reese. That's why they made him such a major part of that Valentine's Day episode. And in the script, uh, the first line Ralph has, which is cut, is that he is described as an oafish boy who sits behind Lisa. Mm. And Largo tells Lisa to stop playing the sax, and he's going to have Ralph play it instead because Ralph is the rival saxophone player. Wow. Oh, weird. Yeah. They were setting up a lot of uh, different things. Yeah, Ralph, uh, named after Ralph Cramden, I believe. Yeah, that, which is why he's supposed to be just like, a, in this he is like, a, hey, what are you talking to her for, <laughs> kid? Not the, the sweet, innocent Ralph we all know and love. Yeah, that's a totally different character. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, at one, uh, and then it says, it makes clear in the script, Ralph plays the sax way worse. Mm. So... Uh, and, and the the music here too. It's fun to hear professional musicians play poorly intentionally. Like that. That's a nice like just sound there. Then they go to the uh, the lunchroom where uh, Lisa is having some very like dark thoughts about how they're just like cattle moved around to eat at the same time. <laughs> This is so over the top, but mm. I, I kind of love it. <laughs> I I had those kind of self-important deep thoughts in high school and thought like nobody's thought this before about conformity, have they? I'm such a spoiled baby when it comes to being self-employed and working from home. Like I briefly had just a short like uh, office gig for a few days where I did some outside work and I was just in an office all day. I'm like, this is like prison, man. <laughs> After the first day, like there are no windows in this room. Uh. One of my uh, favorite things that I used to do when I was like, mm, I want to say 19 or 20, was go to these weird little comedy shows in in my hometown. And um, there was one where this guy, Jordy, would do, it's like every other week or something, would read from his teenage diary mm. or like his early teenage diary. And it was so much like this. Everything was like 
so dramatic. It's like this pseudo Shakespearean like dialogue of like the <laughs> tragedy of everything. And like, and I was kind of the same way, you know, when I journaled when I was nine or 10. So watching this is, is so cringeworthy because it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, everything. I, I really, really love um, later when Bleeding Gums is like, you know, you, you you play the blues well for someone who doesn't have any real problems. Yeah. <laughs> As an so... adult, I love that line more uh, and more. Me too, me too. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, but the, but also saying that to a kid doesn't make a kid feel less sad too. So I, I can feel it from both sides of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when you're in it, it feels so real. It, it feels like everything is the end of the world. <laughs> And uh, we get to see Janie here, too, who, unlike in the previous episode, is is uh, colored correctly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm. uh, and also that uh, Bart, uh, does Bart cause a food fight every day, I wonder? or, or <laughs> That's what's implied here, or yeah. at least a food yeah. fight is caused every day. It feels like that's just a stock kind of school idea to go to. It's like, uh, there's a food fight. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, usually food fights are a bigger thing, not like a, uh, a, like a five-second scene. I, uh, in high school... My high school did separated lunches. There were three different lunches because they didn't have big enough lunchroom for all the kids. Oh, overcrowding, eh? Yep, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, in my time, I never had a food fight in my lunchtime. But I do remember hearing that like, oh, two lunch periods before you, there was a big food fight. And now you can't go in the cafeteria. They're manning <laughs> it up. So. I've never been a party to a food fight before. I'm happy to yeah, say that. I don't I, think uh, I have either. I mean, I obviously, as an extremely cool kid, either ate my lunch in the library, the bathroom, or in a teacher's room. Mm, oh, yeah. <laughs> because I was very cool. Um, and later in the graveyard, because I was goth. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I I don't think I've ever actually been been part of like a real food fight, which is good because yeah. I would get extremely grossed out by that. Yeah, I don't even like to get like sauce on my hands when I'm eating. <laughs> no, I'm not fastidious. I have this thing where like I can't touch butter. Like I hate the feeling of oil or butter on yeah. my hands. I have to like wash it off immediately. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then then from that, we uh, also, the scene ends with Lisa getting hit in the face with food, which they just did that same joke in season 10s. They saved Lisa's brain. Oh, as yeah, well, yeah, that's right. As, as a way of expressing, in, in that one, she gets actually mad about it instead of just despondent again. Um, and then we go to, uh, to the gym class, which uh, according to wikis and also the script, this is not supposed to be Miss Pummelhorn. Yeah. Yeah. This is Miss Barr. Miss Barr, yeah. Mrs. Uh, Pommelhorst, mm-hmm. named after the Pommel horse, yes. uh, is a different character, but is almost identical. She has blonde hair and is a little more uh, butch. Mm. But uh, Miss Barr, I guess, maybe named after like the parallel bars. It's got to be like a pun-ish. Yeah, I think It wouldn't be it. Barr for no reason. It's not like named after Roseanne Barr or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, this is like... Uh, the gym teacher would not like the one joke I could think of with pommel horse is just like I don't need this. I just inhaled my favorite whistle this morning. <laughs> that's the like, one that's good the, joke. Yeah, they're yeah. like Mrs. Pommel Horse. I like to get down. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, the it's surprising for a show that has so many scenes in school that they never thought of a, of a gym teacher like or really needing a gym teacher. Uh, they you know there's far more scenes with the groundskeeper than anything in gym. <laughs> yeah, which is which is so funny. I've never been to a school that had a groundskeeper. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I think that's why the increasing jokes are about uh, Willie being destitute and underpaid because it's just there's no budget for it. So I think eventually Skinner just gives him room and board in a shack, and that's how they have a groundskeeper. 
Uh, and and Barr is voiced by uh, Miriam Flynn, one of several voice actors in season one who have only one appearance. I was wondering, yeah. Uh, she is another of those like Saturday morning voices that they used a lot of in season one. And, you know, Sam Simon had a very specific want for voice actors and he wasn't liking what he was getting from a lot of the Saturday morning people. Most famously, uh, Chris Lotta uh, slash Christopher Collins the, the voice of Starscream, who was the original Burns and Moe and got cut. And Miriam Flynn is another of those folks. Uh, she, I believe, most famous uh, part that I saw on her IMDb was she was Taz's mom in the Tasmania cartoon. So... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, Interesting. She's she's in a lot of stuff. And I think the positioning and posing of her, like, it really feels like a Duckman scene to me, honestly. <laughs> like, it, it's just so weird. And, and uh, I don't know, like, the proportions feel wrong to me and the way Duckman proportions look wrong. Mm, on purpose. Yes. Yeah. But yes, in an extremely relatable scene, the uh, the gym teacher doesn't give a crap about anybody's sensitive feelings and only helps to ostracize the outsider in this uh, scene. Lisa gets hit with a dodgeball. Lisa, we are playing dodgeball here. The object of the game is to avoid the ball by weaving or ducking out of its path. In other words, to dodge the ball. Listen, Missy, (laughs) just tell me why you weren't getting out of the way of those balls. I'm too sad. Too sad to play dodgeball? That's ridiculous. Now let's see some enthusiasm. Play ball! Yeah, yeah, that's sad. That's That's uh, my entire, like, public school relationship to physical education. So mm -hmm. (laughs) I I relate very strongly. I hated dodgeball. Mm -hmm. We did um, did soccer baseball. Did you ever Mm. play that? Which is Uh, like... Is it like kickball? Is that... Kind of. Yeah, yeah. it it was the worst it's just the worst. <laughs> we, I believe, dodgeball was phased out when I was a kid uh, in grade school. We played uh, beanbag toe tag, which was the oh, non-violent fine. answer, which is why it uh, wussified American yes, kids. Yeah, as, uh, that's, that's why we're. Na- I, I I can't even fake to go down the Republican speech uh, here for that. Yeah, I, uh, no, I mean this. Uh, I feel like there were more dodgeball jokes in the '90s than dodgeball was played by kids because it was a a generation made to play it and hating it than then getting it out through jokes like this. I really, well, not only like my hatred of gym teachers comes through in here, but also like Lisa's response of like to, uh, to dodge the ball, like her droll uh, comeback. That really takes me back to so many of my interactions with teachers I hated <laughs> where I'm like, the only way I can get back at you is by being more clever than you in a funny, snarky reply. And Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I got in trouble for that constantly in school. Uh, but it's like, it's your only, it's it's your really only recourse in those situations. And just to outsmart the teacher and make them look stupid and tear them down, tear down their, you know, they've tearing your, in, in my feelings were always like, they're tearing me down so much, I need to take them down a peg if I can. <laughs> And I and also a very teacher responsive, like too sad to play dodgeball. This is ridiculous. Get out of here. Like, yeah, don't. I hope uh, teachers listen a bit more to kids telling them their problems. Now, I hope. I want. Yeah, they that. for sure didn't when I was in school. But who knows? Mm. <laughs> 
but anyway, enough of this feeling stuff. Video Yay. game. Yay. <laughs> so, yes, uh, for me, this is the standout part of this episode. No, I mean, Lisa's stuff is good, too. But this is very important to me as a kid, uh, a major gamer back in the uh, 80s and 90s. And, of course, today I was in the gaming industry until fairly recently. And I still kind of am with Retronauts. But this is a very specific video game parody. And you would not really see these again until like 20 years later, maybe. Like you'd see a person with a 2600 joystick and Donkey Kong sounds be coming out of somewhere mm-hmm. in like 1998. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. even in the 2000s. But this, somebody played Mike Tyson's Punch Out and they put it on the screen. And the joke is lost on us now because the joke is what if a video game was this violent? What if yes. you could knock a head off? What if you could kill a guy? Mm-hmm. What if you could bury him alive on the screen? Mortal Kombat would be around in two more years doing yes. exactly all of this as not a joke. Yeah, the the extremeness. Uh, we listeners probably heard last year our live podcast we did at PAX with the uh, amazing guest Mike Drucker, where we talked about the history of games being shown in The Simpsons. And this is the first, and uh, they, they knock it out of the park, I think, with accuracy compared to every other show. Yeah, the specifics of Punch-Out in this are so impressive to me. It yeah. must have been fun for uh, West Archer to do because less drawings, because it looks like they're just drawing keyframes. <laughs> Yeah. You know, putting the pixel filter over them. And it looks great. Yeah. Like, yeah. The It does. It's really funny. Like, the visual gags in this, I, I enjoyed. And this is, for me, like, a plot that's kind of, like, super secondary. Also, like, incredibly tonally different to what's oh, yeah. happening in the rest of the episode. So it's sort of jarring. That's something, but, yeah. Yeah, the head cutting off, the like coffin descending into the ground is like so funny. Yeah, the idea of of a game with just blood flying out of a character being hit. I'm sure there were some violent games for like computers before this, maybe like Sega Genesis, but like a mainstream game like this with like, you know, decapitations and teeth Mm. and blood and death uh, was just like, wouldn't it be funny if a game had all these things? Well, the wait two years, you'll get all that. Well, and the young, the young men writing this, if they were gamers, then they would have been playing, you know, I think just the the Nintendo Entertainment System mainly. And that was so intentionally scrubbed clean as a response yeah. to all the dirty games that came out late on the Atari that uh, and other systems that I think that that led them to think, wow, video games are really squeaky clean. What if they were more violent? You what know? did the uh, script say about these uh, oh, stage directions? All, all of it's there. The blood okay. everywhere. They make sure to say like, this is very bloody. Blood flies out of faces. Like they describe it bloodier than even it is on screen. And all of the the decapitation, the the uh, dancing on the grave. All there in the script. Interesting, so. yeah. I feel like the writers of this uh, generation of writers, they're all born like uh, roughly around 1960-ish. Uh, they were really looking down their nose at gamer Americans, <laughs> and I, I don't care for it. Especially with the later scenes, it's just like, oh yeah, an arcade is for children, yes, and if yeah. you're a man in that arcade, you have serious problems, and you should seek help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, I feel like that very much was the attitude of the time oh it was yeah for sure because now i mean now the only reason that they're you know uh, are adults doing it is because they were kids (laughs) at this point in time exactly i mean the average i looked it up the average age of the uh, american gamer is uh, 35 Mm. in 2019 so (laughs) i'm over the age now oh no (laughs) yeah because every kid is just playing Fortnite. Yeah. So, you know. Oh my god. Yeah, I every time something new gets like advertised in Fortnite, I'm like, "Oh yeah, it like when I saw that 
Rise of Skywalker, I think, probably had its biggest ad spend in one place in Fortnite, not on television. Yeah. That I that it really gave me context for how big that game in particular is right now. And yeah, I, I've never played it. I have no context for it, but it is. I am aware that it is <laughs> everything to a specific age. Oh yeah, and I met uh, my stepdad around this time when he was around my age, and he was a big uh, Nintendo gamer. Oh. So that's how we bonded. So he was one of the rare adult gamers in 1990. Wow, that's, that's uh, funny. Uh, you know, when I got a Nintendo, it was because of intense begging because my next door neighbor had it, and like this is like 86, 87. So I've, I'm five or six. Uh, and I beg, beg, beg for it. They finally buy it. And uh, my mom is as addicted to Super Mario Brothers as I am, if not more. So, so she, every puzzle game like Dr. Mario, Tetris, they kept her up all night long. She was super addicted to it. And uh, my dad, I got to say, my dad is a crack shot, like with mm. video game guns anyway. And he could kill it in Duck Hunt every time, right up to like Virtual Cop. He would be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to pull from my hip and then show you. Blam, so blam, blam. Stay away from Henry's dad. Uh, he's, <laughs> yeah, for sure. He owns a lot of real guns, too. Uh, <laughs> my mom has played all of the Lego Harry Potter and Lego Lord of the Rings games. Oh, so. that's nice. I, and she also, uh, I got her addicted to Stardew Valley. And, oh no! <laughs> uh, yeah, she got to like year six on her first farm, and then whoa again to like year four or something. And I was like, "Damn, mom!" <laughs> you know, I bought my mom a Switch. I should get her Stardew Valley. I bet she'd like that too. Well, you had to beg for a Nintendo. My parents got divorced. I was just given one. Like, uh, here, this will give you love, and that's why I love video games today. <laughs> I uh, like Bart. I play. I did play a lot of uh, Nintendo Entertainment System games with my my parents and versus after nes i really only played versus games against my mom my dad would win all the time i it was the reverse of this situation my dad uh would i think really looking back on it only play games he knew he could win (laughs) a big one was the rbi baseball series because he knew the rules of baseball more than me and could just defeat me every time but yeah in our house we didn't have video games so it was my parents playing scrabble and trivial pursuit and like you don't know jack when it came out Mm. uh against me a child (laughs) so it was like (laughs) i never won and i was just like what it took me until i was a teenager to be like the deck is pretty stacked against me in terms of the fact that you only have like 70s trivial pursuit (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) i don't have any cultural reference for any of this we you know we'd play a little trivial pursuit as a kid but they got the uh because my mom loves that uh, and I love it too. But we had it was Disney Trivial Pursuit, which so oh, itself is having a kids section and an adult section. Yeah, exactly. But the kids ones were still too hard for me. What color yeah. were Uncle Remus's overalls? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like these movies really I'd never hard. seen. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the only one I would like, even when I played like Harry Potter Trivial Pursuit at one point in time, it was like such deep cuts from some of the books where I was like, man, I don't, I need room in my brain for like what I'm going to eat for lunch. (laughs) This, this, uh, we're going off topic here, but, uh, in, uh, no, I'm going to bring us further off topic when, uh, uh, back in the early two thousands, like 2002, uh, I was dating someone and we both loved Malcolm in the middle. We loved it so much. And I still like the show a lot, but we were like at Toys R Us one day, just like, you know, goofing around. It's like, Oh, there's a Malcolm in the middle board game. Let's buy it. It's on sale. It was Malcolm in the middle trivia game, but only for season one. And there was like 200 questions. Do you know how specific those <laughs> oh, questions oh, got? God. And that was before yeah. there was a DVD. It's just like, uh, what 
what is this quote from? I don't know. There are 13 episodes. <laughs> it's like, what color was Malcolm's jacket? And blah, blah, blah. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> wow, that, uh, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel for the designers of that board game. They didn't have much to work with. Nope, and... <laughs> nope. They just got a license because Malcolm was hot. Yeah, the, the, Mal- the Malcolm market demanded it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so in the script it does say a Nintendo-style video boxing game. So even from the script, they meant punch out. They they meant the punch out. And I mean, as a kid watching it in 1990, I I knew it was punch out then too, and that was exciting to me because like. Uh, you know, we talked about this before, but uh, this being an animated sitcom, it could do things that all the other sitcoms couldn't do. You know, on Full House, they could say, I'm playing a made-up video game, but they can't actually fully develop yeah. a video game and show it on screen and do it. Only Clarissa Explains It All could do yeah. that for us. Which, that was great, man. That Clarissa would design a video game every episode to I can't believe they dropped that. So lame. <laughs> that, that and the crocodile just dumped after season one, man. It's a thing I love so much about animation. And I'm like, anytime I write something, I'm always trying to be like, you know, how can I uh, make the poor animators <laughs> have to work <laughs> in like a different style for part of it? To, and it's because it's because you can and it's so fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, it, and it's it stands out so much like to this this whole section here. Like it's funny on the commentary they talk about how like wow it have to be a pretty advanced video game for the avatars to look like Bard and Homer. And oh I was yeah, like, no, that's every game now. It's every- funny they <laughs> predicted character creation. Yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and also, I feel like uh, this was this was not in the script. I, it was an art, artistic choice, just like how in Punch Out the referee is Mario in a cameo. <laughs> Akbar or Jeff from Life in Hell is the referee in this game, which oh, I think is really cool. But yes, Bob, you you are correct that there for all the directness they get about punch out the animators did miscommunicate in that they're not using NES controllers they're using uh the joysticks of an atari it's weird that's the one detail that is off it's the atari vcs joystick at at first i thought it was uninformed but i think it could also just be a choice of oh i have much more movement and acting they can do with it no i immediately thought of that like the acting is more fun on a joystick than it is just someone holding a uh, a gamepad and man the reaction poses they're doing yeah like oh no come on no yeah it's great yeah it's so looney tunes like over the top with (laughs) with homer's stuff and i couldn't remember because i hadn't seen it in so long i thought the punchline was that his controller was unplugged and um. then but it's but I, that's from something else that like I can't remember but hmm. I kept thinking that the whole episode even like you know when he goes to the arcade and stuff I was like I, yeah I just totally remembered wrong so that was kind of fun <laughs> uh, but uh, yes their video boxing is interrupted by the A plot as uh, Lisa gets a note from school yo jump back again <laughs> oh. get out of the way how come he's not ducking? Wait a minute. Wait, I can't get my... Get out of the way, stupid! Homer? Not now, Marge! No! Get out of the corner! But they sent a note from school. What did you do this time, you little hoodlum? Whoop, get out of the way! I didn't do it. Nobody saw me do it. There's no way they can prove anything. No, Bart. This note isn't about you. It isn't? There must be some mistake. Hey, you're right. This note's about Lisa. Lisa? <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh man, that's an act break. Yeah, that's I, an act break. I kept that in because yeah. it's it's just kind of flat. 
So I do think it's good to end on Lisa's emotions because that is the main story of the episode instead of just the joke of a severed head hitting the ground. Yeah. But man, the music just hurts it. It makes it just yeah. too, a little too maudlin. I will say like, so yeah, uh, jeers to Richard Gibbs for the uh, overly on the nose music for the, uh, you know, emotional scenes, but cheers to him for accurately replicating a punch out style song. Yeah. And whoever did sound design, like the little barks that the referee does. Yeah. Really cool. Like really uh, like of the NES game, like, yeah. like right from the NES game. No, the sound effects are, are great. They, they are very correct. So yeah, you're right. Let's 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 praise Gibbs and, as well as tear him down. I guess here, uh, and that is the first. I didn't do it right there. Yeah, which would become uh, Bart's catchphrase in uh, season five, briefly when yeah. he became a superstar. <laughs> Uh, it's like a tier C level uh, catchphrase for Bart, which I think is why they made it his catchphrase in that episode. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it also Krusty's catchphrase before it was Bart? Like, don't blame me. I, I didn't, didn't do, do it. it. Yes. Yeah. yeah I remember that. Everyone so. had that catchphrase for some reason. <laughs> it's Did a- I do that? I th- oh. oh, yeah. You know, but this pre yeah. Urkel would have must have been the next year, right? Oh, like, I don't know. Mm. I think we're I think we're in Urkel Town. We're in Urkel Town. We just maybe. pulled up. I think it was just that was a very uh that like kind of you know scoundrel boy character was like mm. very very popular at yeah. that point in time that slogan was on t-shirts and stuff right uh i think so, i didn't yeah. do it no one saw me do it you can't prove oh, anything the thing? yeah yeah, yeah. that's uh yeah which that that line reading and also the okie dokie later okie dokie they're just burned in my brain because they're part me of the too. deep deep trouble song me yeah. too yeah <laughs> okie dokie uh, but uh, but yes, oh, they come back from break and they're reading the progress reports. I think it's supposed to be a joke that it's like Principal Colin Skinner, that it's like a, hmm. uh, that it should just be Principal Skinner signs it himself, but that it's like a form note that has principal to be determined and he oh, writes okay. in his name. Hmm. I think Not that's communicated effectively then. Yeah. As they read the note, um, we get a scene that uh, I think speaks to a lot of us of just like, people you know well meaningly trying to help you with depression and it not really doing much there's you know so much of this in this episode of of people just being like uh, I, you know <laughs> i think the the you know the lisa on homer's lap kind of thing is is very much the um the best example or at mm. least you know that's that's this kind of feeling solidified uh, of him just being like, I want to help you. Come here. And then her being like, ah, I've got all these feelings. It's like, oh, God, uh, <laughs> you might need uh, uh, help <laughs> that I can't provide here. Here's what helped you when you were three. Will will that still work? Like, yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, here, I'll play the, uh, the full clip here. Lisa refuses to play dodgeball because she is sad. Well, she doesn't look sad. <laughs> I don't see any tears in her eyes. It's not that kind of sad. I'm sorry, Dad, but you wouldn't understand. Oh, sure I would, Princess. I have feelings, too. (laughs) You know, like, my stomach hurts, or I'm going crazy. Why don't you climb up on Daddy's knee and tell him all about it? I'm just wondering, what's the point? Would it make any difference at all if I never existed? How can we sleep at night when there's so much suffering in the world? Really? Uh, eh... Come on, Lisa. Ride the Homer horsey. Giddy up. <laughs> Lisa, honey, why don't we go upstairs and I'll draw you a nice hot bath. That helps me when I feel sad. Sorry, Dad. I know you mean well. Thanks for knowing I mean well. Gee, Homer, looks like you got yourself a real problem on your hands. You're right. 
Bart, vacuum this floor. Hey, man, I didn't do anything wrong. In times of trouble, you got to go with what you know. Now hop to it, boy. <laughs> Uh, now, as an older brother, that scene as a seven-year-old really spoke to me of just like, yeah, it's hard to be the older brother. <laughs> Parents don't know what to do. <laughs> but You're the test subject for their uh, better children. Yeah, it's no fun. Yeah. I don't like it. I, I know I'm speaking to an only <laughs> child and a younger brother here. Yes, but, <laughs> I'm the good kid. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this uh, one thing I really want to point out in this episode, there's so many scenes that like have way more fluid, great animation than I remembered. That's this True, is one yeah. of them. Like, yeah, for sure. The like the posing on Lisa, or like just the way Homer when Homer like gets out of his chair and like steps up and steps back. There's there's so many like little flourishes and extra fidgets and posing that are completely unneeded, but add so much like emotional flavor to the lines being delivered. Like it's it's really good. I also like the brief little moment in the scene where uh, Homer can't reassure Lisa, but Lisa does reassure Homer. Like, I know you mean well. It's like, thanks for knowing I meant well. That's true. (laughs) That little, yeah, that call and response is is really good. Or even like, there's a little fidget of like Bart saying like, well, it seems like you got a real problem on your hands. They have to add in the sound of scratching because it's just this little extra thing that Bart could have totally just said that line standing flatly and you never noticed that he wasn't moving but that little extra motion adds so much i i looked up the animators on this one uh there's four named ones two of them are future well previous and future directors on simpsons craig avanzo and carlos baeza oh yeah these feel very Vanzoe to me, I think, mm. based on what uh, I know of scenes he animated on Ren and Stimpy. I think I, I'm going to say these feel like Vanzo to me, though. Uh, you know, some listeners out there who are better at identifying animators. I bet, uh, maybe Thad Kamarowski is running a comment right now. <laughs> yeah. and we love it. We love it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We love that. We've had him on before and uh, tease away. I think you'll be hearing Thad again on a future Simpsons episode. Mm. But. <laughs> I also really love the posing on Homer going like, I'm going crazy. Like, that's such a funny thing to that, I, that is in my mind because it was used in like syndicated uh, commercials for it. You're like, right. Uh, yeah. There's be like a bunch of clips and one of them is like, I'm going crazy. I think that is why it's yeah. in my memory more than uh, some others. You're right. That's funny. Yeah, because I was watching it and I was like, okay, well, this reminds me so much of like the, the Shining episode. Um, oh, yeah. Sort of like a precursor to that. But yeah, I think I think I saw those commercials too. <laughs> <laughs> and... I I like that they gave a little space for Lisa to get like explicit about why she's being sad and it's it's more of just like these realizations of like do does anything matter does happiness even matter in a world that has so much suffering like these unanswerable questions that Homer probably either never thinks about or tries to never think about his emotions are uh, hunger or uh, <laughs> anger <laughs> <laughs> which is very true and it those are hard yeah. <laughs> those questions are hard it's like God, I think about that stuff now, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, there. I don't have an answer now, just like I didn't have one 30 years ago. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I do like that Marge attempts, you know, a better thing with drawing a bath, but also Lisa says, nah, it didn't help either later mm. anyway, but... At least Marge is like, well, this helps me when I feel sad, which this is the first time they even mentioned that Marge, the character of Marge, has the ability to feel anything more than just yeah. like, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I liked that because mm-hmm. it's like that also is, you know, 
it's like a weirdly, I don't want to say like female thing, but that was a thing my mom did. Like baths to me are like the most comforting thing. Like being in hot water is, it's what I do when I'm mm. sad or when I'm, you know, in pain or, you know, whatever. Like, so I was just like, oh yeah, that's a really good suggestion. And when it didn't work or do anything, I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, yeah. this is really bad. <laughs> Now, it, it feels like a very 60s mom suggestion. Yeah. 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 And the next scene feels like a really good Tracy Ullman show, mm-hmm. uh, like short. Yeah, just totally. like uh, come to the one you love the best. <laughs> it does feel like uh, that could just be a little short. Yeah. Other than Lisa in the scene, like giving up and going like, hey, just go to Barb Maggie. That's the only bit that feels like it fits for this episode totally. The rest is just a... Ullman, an unused Ullman short in in style, but it's one. It's a really great scene that you can see why it was used in like so many ads and PR material early in the days. Like if you know the local news was talking about Bart Mania, what kind of scene are you going to use? Like one of a child hugging a TV really makes kind of a statement, you know, about how much kids are loving The Simpsons. Now it'd be a child hugging an iPad. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, and the iPad would like hug it back or thank it for the hug to start playing a nazi video for the child to watch (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yes this uh this sequence of who do you love more i i really like this enjoy your bath no not really oh too bad well i certainly had fun vacuuming maybe now i'll get the pleasure of scrubbing your tub so typical of bart all he thinks about is himself hey don't say stuff like that about me to maggie She's on my side anyway. Is not. Is too. Is not. Is too. Is not. Is too. Watch. I'll prove it. Maggie, come to the one you love best. No, Maggie. Come here, girl. Come to me. Come on, Maggie. The choice is obvious. No, Maggie. Don't go for the glitter. Look for (laughs) substance. All right, Maggie. Just go to Bart. Exactly. Come to the one you love best. And then she hugs the TV. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the only big change from the script in that scene is that when she hugs it, a very violent, itchy, and scratchy cartoon is uh, playing on the TV. Uh, so, uh, we don't need it. That'd be fun, though. It's uh, scr- scratchy is being uh, put in the electric chair and zapped <laughs> over and over again. Of course. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, then uh, oh, also great animation on Bart vacuuming up the playing cards too. I yeah, really a like nice that. touch. That was very <laughs> funny. I liked that. I was like. What does Homer really play a lot of cards? What what is this? <laughs> but it is funny to watch. Homer's beloved stack of playing cards that just sits on the kitchen table. I don't know. When I was growing up, there'd just be a random deck of cards somewhere, yeah. just like sitting hanging around. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like parents didn't play like iPad or like uh, you know smartphone games. They just played solitaire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents play, can't even remember what it's called. Where it's like there's you put little pegs in a in a long wooden board that's got like kind of a spiral track on it or something a cribbage cribbage yes that's it Uh, my parents played that i think Mm. i think that's what it was that and like we played go fish and that was that was about it (laughs) i played that a bit and uh yeah so uh so that scene just kind of fades away and takes away all the energy of it which is uh they're just still learning their editing style there and uh then it goes back to 
Bart and Homer playing again. Uh, I really love that the sh- going between the shots of Homer's awesome posing and crazy screaming animation yeah. to then Bart sitting like still and pressing a button. Pressing just one button on <laughs> yeah. the controller, yeah. And uh, yeah, the entire casket sequence is in the script, uh, but I think the animators really embellished it even better with just the the posing and dancing on the grave as the ref like happily points at him like, you're the winner! <laughs> yeah. So funny. Uh, even the descriptor of it playing taps is is there too. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Homer. So this scene really makes Homer look bad. I think they softened it as much as possible. Of just like he says, like, well, no, he's. They're trying to make it clear he's frustrated by the game and overreacts to hearing the saxophone. Yeah. I think it's a, a funny turn where you think that after Homer realizes he hurt Lisa's feelings, he would be like, you know, just play your heart out. But he's like, you know what? You just finger uh, finger clack your heart out. He doesn't, he's like, he doesn't escalate to like, no, just play. It's fine. It's fine. It's like, no, you can do the quieter thing. It's fine with me. <laughs> I did kind of like it, though. I mean, you know, he's he's annoyed at first, but he does have a moment of like recognizing that she's obviously sad even though he's not really helping it is a gentler side of him no, than you see for most of the rest of the episode i do like it because he's too dense to understand like you should just let her play the saxophone <laughs> i i think the level of empathy homer has of opening the door and then at, seeing her start to cry he's like oh um, um like that is more emotional intelligence than homer i think shows ever again in the show <laughs> i yeah i definitely felt that in this scene i was like because i really did not like Homer growing up he was like it was always just so I was so bothered by him because I was like this father is terrible he's always Mm. yelling at his kids and like threatening them so I had I I didn't and then it was really funny watching this one because I was like oh god I'm gonna have to watch Homer be so insensitive and shitty to Lisa and then there that is like a genuinely nice moment even if he is kind of thick about it Mm -hmm. yeah and I I think too they thought they'd have more scenes of Homer is annoyed at hearing her play a saxophone and tells her to stop playing it. And uh, this also has the, uh, instead of a saxophone, it's a saxoma thing. Uh, yeah, what? I noticed that too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like before they've given it that specific nickname. I think, you know, Gene and Reese, especially, they wrote these scenes of like Homer mad at hearing the saxophone played in the house because it's distracting. And I I think that's why in the season nine episode, Lisa Sax, they try to retcon it to be like, no, it was actually a gift from Homer. And it's nice. Like yeah. he doesn't hate that. He doesn't try to quash her artistic uh, sensibilities at every turn. We do get the, uh, the cute line, play your blues if it'll make you happy. Oh, that's a great line. Yeah. I didn't yeah. get that. Oh, that's so funny. It's really good. It's really good. I liked that scene. Like that one and then Lisa in the in the car with Marge were my favorite parts of this. Yeah. It uh it it at least shows Homer's not like fully he at least learns like, well, I don't know how to make you feel better, but I'm gonna give you space at least. Yeah, which is again, like you said, doesn't really <laughs> happen again. <laughs> yeah. Uh and so Lisa you know, instead of practicing, she then hears this siren song of jazz music uh, out of her window and decides to, you know, secretly leave via the tree in the treehouse outside. And then, in, you know, a scene that wasn't scary to me as a kid is now that intentionally so of like a little kid walking through like <laughs> the dark, uh, a dark neighborhood or the, yeah. My favorite bit of this outside of I did write down like, it's chill that this eight-year-old or whatever is just like wandering around in the city in the dark um, was the fact that she goes by a place that says tattoos 
on mm. it, but it's just like a residential house. <laughs> it's just a really plain looking house that just in huge letters says tattoos. <laughs> it's not designed for tattoo parlor. Yeah. And this is a non-interesting fact, but the, uh, the bridge she uh, meets bleeding gums on is based after a real bridge in Pasadena that uh, Wes Archer would drive by uh, on his way to animate things. And uh, based on how really we don't funny is I actually like clocked that when I was watching ah. it, I was like, I know this bridge. Oh, <laughs> I was going to wow. say like, based on <laughs> how we don't take care of any infrastructure in America, I assume 30 years later, the bridge is unchanged. <laughs> well, basically, yeah, almost exactly the same. <laughs> That's uh, it's, it's one of those classic things where after you visit LA, you realize like, Oh, Springfield has a lot of just LA things they draw in because the animators live in uh, working out of Burbank or no, if they weren't out of Klasky Chupo's Hollywood at the time, but mm. then it's just in everything. It's so funny after you <laughs> live here. And especially when you live here for a while, cause it's like Bob's burgers is supposed to be this sort of shitty, I think like East coast, maybe like seaside town. Yeah. And then, but like everything in it is from Burbank. <laughs> all of the references, all of the designs. It's like they go to whole foods. It's like very clearly from LA. I, I really enjoy that when I see it and stuff now. It was something that hit me like four seasons into Parks and Rec of just like, wait, this is all LA. This is <laughs> not in Indiana. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like that town hall is in Pasadena. So, <laughs> uh, but okay, we have approached our guest, the in air order first guest voice they had on the show though yeah. penny marshall is the official first first guest in the series and, and i guess it's time to play oh, the oh no always I have to play it always tasteful death jingle oh, no what? all right well we uh for new listeners <laughs> when we uh, have a guest voice on the show who has passed away we play the death jingle <laughs> so uh here it comes Death stalks you at every turn. Ah, there it is, death. So Ron Taylor died at age 2002. At a young, very young man when he died, age 49 of a so heart attack. So sad. So sad. Yeah, but he lived an amazing life. Amazing. Uh, I can go over a bit of it for us here. So um, he graduated from uh, New York City's American Academy of Dramatic Arts. He went on to work in musical theater and got a role in The Wiz playing The Cowardly Lion. So one mm-hmm. of his first roles was in The Wiz. But yes, uh, his biggest break, I think, would be playing Audrey 2, The Plant. It, it absolutely is his biggest break, yeah. Oh, what? That's yes, awesome. But I only, didn't realize. But, but yeah, that totally tracks. But unfortunately, not in the movie version, but he played Audrey 2 for more than 2,000 performances. He was just the voice, but he worked with a puppeteer like in tandem yeah. to make it work. He, he oh, originated wow. the role and uh, starting with the 82 uh, Broadway version of it, written by the late Howard Ashman, who'd go on to oh. do all your favorite Disney musicals of your yes. childhood. Yeah. And I, I love him. I just watched that movie for Halloween for the first time in like decade, probably. It is it rules. It's so I, good. I had never seen it all the way through uh, until last year because I was a huge Steve Martin fan as a kid. Like loved him in everything. Thought he was super mm. funny, and he was so scary in that uh, movie to me because I already had a really big fear of dentists, mm. and I. <laughs> got to like that point in the movie twice and got too scared <laughs> to turn oh. it off. And yes, uh, like Ellen Green plays Audrey in the movie and in the stage version. I think she still plays her yeah, sometimes they, because she is that role. Uh, a few years ago in Los Angeles, they did like a fun, like revival one night only kind of performance thing with like, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal in the Rick Moranis part. And that's, uh, that's a pretty good cast. Uh, he was really yeah. great. They, they recast basically 
literally everybody except for her. She still played yeah, on yeah. me, and, and as a, she could still kill it. She like, rules. Yeah. And as a kid watching this on HBO constantly, I'm like, okay, uh, I, I'm in love with her, and I like women. I, I love Audrey. So uh, yes, same. Uh, so uh, speaking of blues, he created and starred in the musical review. It's called Eight. It ain't nothing but the blues. Yes, which yeah. traces the history of the blues via more than three dozen songs. It eventually went to Broadway in 1999, where it ran for 284 performances. So Tony nominated, yeah. like it. Audrey too might be his most famous role, uh, but I think his like biggest um, creative achievement might be "Ain't Nothing But the Blues." Like just as as a review that like popularized a lot of like uh, blues standards and also introduced you know the very white world of uh, Broadway viewers to such a uh, important part of African American history and and this music genre. I I actually have one of his songs oh, here, a clip from it. Ass. Well, actually, here's there's two of them. Here's first him singing his Audrey 2 in the uh, original Broadway cast recording of Little Shop of Horrors. Keep me see more. Keep me all night long. That's right, boy. You can do it. Keep me see more. Keep me all night long. <laughs> Cause if you feed me Seymour, I can grow up big and strong. Uh, and here's the uh, the one from Let the Good Times Roll. Hey, hey, everybody, let's have some fun. You only live once when your dead is done. Let the good times roll. Lots of fun. Yeah, so he was a very good choice for this. And it's funny that um, he would appear on the Simpsons Sing the Blues and seemingly be the inspiration for the entire project. Mm. Although he would go on to be a very uh, character of little importance in the series until he would have his own episode where he died. And uh, he was on the album as uh, as Bleeding Gum singing God Bless the Child, which I would always skip because it wasn't a fun <laughs> song about Bart or Mr. Burns or Homer. Mm. Uh, but maybe we'll be talking about this album at some point in the future. Yeah. Wink, wink. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Moaning Lisa Blues, the expanded version of her blues song is in there, too. Oh, that, too, yeah. 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 I think, at least in title, I think I, no matter what the style was going to be, the Simpsons was so popular, there was going to be a Simpsons album. But I think this episode gave them the structure for at least the title and a couple songs in it uh, that, you know, you got to have, you can't just have a couple singles. You do need other songs in there. So I, I can get that. I, yeah, man, R.I.P. Ron Taylor, like... Like I, I'm always so shocked at the the breadth of his career. Like, and I can understand why they were casting him here. When I was looking at his IMDb uh, in the '80s late 80s i think he was working out of los angeles a lot more and was doing a lot of you know one-off roles guest starring roles in tons of stuff oh like yeah he's, he plays a very similar like blues man character on matlock in a, in a two-parter <laughs> he's matlock he's, he's on miami vice he's on um twin peaks he's a coach on twin peaks i think he's the only black person in twin peaks <laughs> i'm pretty sure 
Yeah, I was going to say it's like very hard to establish a career unless you sort of have pigeonholed yourself into a, uh, a an acceptable role. Yeah, if that makes yeah. any sense. It's like. Uh, and, and there's also, uh, here's a really funny thing about, you know, the next Bleeding Gums Murphy major appearance is not voiced by Ron Taylor. That's in Dancing Homer, where the joke is Bleeding Gums oh. Murphy sings the national anthem for too long. Yeah. Now, he couldn't do it because of work engagements in new york so he just couldn't come to los angeles to the record the part they got a different voice but a year later on la law he gets a part as a guy who sings the national anthem too long and gets sued over it that's crazy oh wow and i guess like his other appearance would be uh briefly as a judge in lisa's pony of the talent show that's basically (laughs) it before before his death unless i'm missing something i mean there's him in the quilt yeah yeah Yeah. he's i mean you might see him in a background here or there but yeah uh, bleeding gums murphy pretty pretty underused for being so major in season one and i mean i i so this character we're a bunch of white people talking about this but i i think this character is a bit tokenizing and and is at the very least like a very stuffy trope that i think was stuffy even in 1989 of the yeah. magical oh, yeah, blues man yeah. i mean either right before or right after this uh driving miss daisy won the best picture oscar which was <laughs> very much like i'll solve all your problems old lady yeah i i exist only to help you i have no life yeah yeah <laughs> so but, it was very much of the time yeah like, this is heartwarming isn't it no and uh and it's it's just it's nice but he also has like no other life than helping lisa at least in this episode and yeah. in his death episode you at least get to know what his life was but we i mean we talked about that episode we don't like it that much uh and it sort of just makes a mockery of the character by making his life insane and ridiculous a <laughs> little bit yeah little bit. now i i will say on the other hand, yeah. I don't feel they use this trope like in uh, it's more ignorant than uh, than anything else. They're using this kind of tokenizing trope. And I do think if you're going to hire somebody to do it, Ron Taylor is the perfect guy to do it. And they are, you know, he is so entrenched in the world of the blues and an amazing singer that it's great casting. And when the Simpsons, you know, sometimes doesn't cast the best voices. Uh, <laughs> I was literally going to say, like, it's yeah. better than a Hank Azaria situation. Yeah, Hank yeah. is not playing this character. I also think that uh, Bleeding Gums is not like, I'm going to mentor you, Lisa. I'll change your life. Like, yeah. Lisa just meets him and he says, well, you don't have real problems, kid. Yeah, and but like, I'll jam with you. Like, his yeah. existence is what the inspiration is. He's not like, I'm going to be hands-on. My life is now devoted to helping you, Lisa. So I think they know what, it, what kind of, uh, what they're playing with here. It's true. He's not like Bagger Vance or anything, yeah. Yeah, and he does kind of do the like, well, I can't help you with that. <laughs> like, he very much is like, I'm not going to be it's your like, therapist here. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I'll jam with you but i'm not going to yeah. be like i have no idea about like how to relate to your problems yeah. kid no and I, I and again this was you know 30 years ago we we knew it was a stuffy trope but also like it was still pretty normalized in comedy like uh you know me and bob giant fans of kids in the hall mm-hmm. they <laughs> did a blues man character that i think at least once mark mckinney or more than once mark mckinney did with blackface oh yeah like, oh yeah it's and it uh, sucks now to go back to. Yeah, this is a thing that it's like uh, surprising when you find how many people have done that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, wow, okay, cool. What a world we lived in. Uh, yeah. um, still do. 
I will say my my favorite part of this whole sequence is Marge pulling up going, get away from that jazz man. <laughs> and then saying nothing personal. I just fear the unfamiliar, I which like, is such a good dig. <laughs> the term jazz man is thrown around a few times. Like when he uh, dies, Homer says, we'll get you a new jazz, jazz man. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> his classification as jazz man. Like yeah. that's, his, that's his position in life. Uh, actually, before I play the first extended clip with him, I do, we get a, a dream sequence with both Homer and Marge. Uh, so this is a big one here that is an addition from the script, Table Draft. Marge's dream, not there. The mentions of her mother, not there. Like, okay. this is a post-Table Draft addition. My theory is a thousand percent, this feels like it fell out of James L. Brooks's brain and yes. into the script. Like, yeah. it feels like so uh, much of a sentimentality is in this scene and you know a little too on the nose sometimes but it's like giving marge something to do and giving her uh history and things like that like it's on the nose but i don't know it it worked for me because it it does feel even though yeah obviously the dialogue is is a little pointed but it does feel very real of like Mm. that time and the way so many women were raised like that it's like just don't don't feel (laughs) yeah it is it like we see a lot of this in the series because of who's writing it it is really the boomer parents or sorry the boomers like lashing out against their either greatest or silent generation parents (laughs) who taught them all the wrong things Mm -hmm. yeah for sure i think I, I kept thinking throughout this episode about Tahani in the good place going yeah. like the British way of like, just do your best to hide your sadness. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we just did Hilda for our What a Cartoon podcast. And we noticed that like, wow, you know, parents are much nicer in modern cartoons because I think it's like, oh yeah, we're the generation who are now raising children. And, you know, I think things are getting better. We're understanding, uh, you know, how to relate to our children more and things like that instead God, of just Hilda being so um, much. Yeah, yeah. So it's great. Much. <laughs> I think this is a very important addition that I'm glad they made because it makes Marge's dramatic choices later make so much more sense. And she's watching her daughter go through this journey, puts her on her own personal journey of like reconciling her childhood with realizing like, oh, but I I regret doing what my mother told me to do and not, you know, experiencing my emotions directly instead just dealing with repression. And yeah. she, she's full of regret about that she experiences a moment i think we all do when we learn like oh my mom was full of shit about that or my dad had no idea what he was talking about when he told me this like that was bad advice they gave me and i don't want to do this (laughs) yeah yeah i think uh well this is also first time you see marge's mother and uh, this isn't exactly how uh mrs bouvier will look in the future but it's it's not not what it looks like she's she is a clone of marge in most flashbacks you see her in which uh, I think that makes it, if you think about it from like a um, reading of her dreams, then she's dreaming of herself as her and her mother. And it like makes it an even deeper uh, meaning, I think. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think so too. Uh, but yes, actually here I have a, it's a pretty quick clip. Here's here's the dream dialogue. Wait, Margie, before you go out that door, let's put our happy face on because people know how good a mommy you have by the size of your smile. Yeah, and it's really self-serving. It's just like, well, if my kid is out there looking uh, dour, they're going to think like, oh, her mom must be awful. So, you know, get out there and be happy. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a it's a narcissistic parent behavior, I would say for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, Homer has a very Oedipal dream, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, this happens. We say this about every Lisa episode, but like, I should count the pure minutes. But the B story of the video game is always threatening to take over the A story of Lisa's sadness. Yeah. Like, which I get it. Like these are two dudes writing a story and a father and son story about video games. You know, it draws their attention more. I get mm-hmm. it. I understand. I do really like him waking up from the nightmare with the wiggling tongue. And a joke <laughs> I got this time that I didn't understand last time was like, oh, he immediately falls back asleep after sitting up and screaming. <laughs> yes. And then Marge yeah. wakes him up again. It's like, I thought he was just like falling back. Like, wow, that was a rough dream. But like, no, he immediately goes back to sleep and is woken up after sitting up and screaming. It's it's great. Yeah. He says something like extremely oblivious about Lisa and then falls back asleep. And Marge is just lying there like half awake, which is like, yep. That's that's real. <laughs> uh, so also in the script, the uh, the dream of Homer's beating is actually preceded by him dreaming of being at Moe's and having a drink with his video game character. Oh, OK. And, Interesting. And it's um, now it's I think it's a good they cut it because the realization is he's having a drink with him and he's like, oh, what do you do? He's like, oh, I work at the nuclear power plant. And then Homer's like, wait, that's what I do. And then it turns into like he realizes he's the video game character and then the beating begins so yeah it's uh i can see why they cut it it's not necessarily needed but it's kind of a cute idea of homer drinking with his video game character i do like that yeah (laughs) and this is like a very al gene and mike reese and later just al gene uh set piece where it's like okay we're in act two we're heading towards the end of act two let's have them both in bed going over the plot like Mm -hmm. where are we in this in in this plot in that plot like it's something they did a lot and also to reuse animation they would often do it that's true yeah so this is all original oh yeah it's all original yeah. i mean there's not enough animation to reuse yet <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> homer's screaming tongue animation so great like it's like three frames repeated a few times and just amazing Same i with- love it i still draw like anytime i draw a comic and someone's like freaking out i draw that that weird tongue like it's so burned into my brain <laughs> I was so sad when the Simpsons like started losing those worm tongues. Uh, like the big I love sp- them. <laughs> They're so expressive. Uh, but yes, as you mentioned, Bob, they, they talk a bit about parenting in this next clip. You know, Marge, getting old is a terrible thing. I think the saddest day of my life is when I realized I could beat my dad at most things. And Bart experienced that at the age of four. Mm-hmm. So why are you still awake? I'm still trying to figure out what's bothering Lisa. I don't know. Bart's such a handful, and Maggie needs attention. But all the while, our little Lisa's becoming a young woman. Oh, so that's it. This is some kind of underwear thing. (laughs) Good night, Homer. (laughs) Marge just gives up on him immediately. Great murmuring on her, just like, whatever, you useless. A very earned groan. It doesn't feel like her being, like, naggy wife. It's just like, oh, my God, you moron. (laughs) Uh, Homer just like once he says some kind of underwear thing he's I think that's his statement of just like I have reached the wall of information I want to know about girls growing up so I'm not going to think about it anymore Uh, well meanwhile Marge is like actually I think pretty good at identifying Lisa in in being in a middle child situation as well yeah being sort of neglected a bit Mm Which, I I mean, that's right in the series Bible of, like, neglected middle child. Like, she'll sing that out loud in in scenes sometimes. (laughs) Uh, But, yes, then we cut back to uh, Lisa and Bleeding Ums Murphy jazz jazz riffing together. It's it's, our jamming, I should say. Now, 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 low B flat. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, Lisa. Altissimo register. Very nice. Very nice. I once ruptured myself doing that. Thanks, <laughs> Mr. Murphy. My friends call me Bleeding Gums. Ew, how'd you get a name like that? Well, let me put it this way. You ever been to the dentist? Yeah. Not me. I suppose I should go to one. But I got enough pain in my life as it is. I have problems, too. Well, I can't help you, kid. I'm just a terrific horn player with tons of soul. But I can jam with you. Okay. That uh, I agree with his fear of dentists. I, I don't like him either. No fun. I don't like thinking that uh, he was my age recording this voice. No. Yeah, I guess <laughs> he Taylor. was, wasn't he? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh. I don't like dentists. Mm-hmm. Mm. No fun. I don't. Uh, I enjoy I being praised to... by dentists because I get <laughs> none of that anymore. never happens to me. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, my whole family has like terrible bones and teeth. So even when we try really hard and i didn't get go to one for like a couple of years when i moved out here because i was terrified of american insurance uh situations even though dental is not covered in canada but you know i was still scared and i went to one last summer when my uh animation guild insurance was about to run up and it's really good insurance mm. so i went and i was just like i need the works i need everything <laughs> <laughs> it's very it's it's very lame but i work very very hard so every six months a professional person can be like Good job. <laughs> but Validation. I totally get that. Like, I live for the approval of authority figures. Yes, so. exactly. Give me my sticker that says great job. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I'm terrified of being told I didn't do a great job and, like, being it. It feels like every, like, teacher or manager at a job, like, I've always uh, feared any reprisal or, like, scolding. It's uh, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Just terrifying. It's the worst feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. Ugh, but uh, I, I, you know, here we are back. Back to dentist talk here. Uh, <laughs> you know, that actually Audrey 2 eats a dentist and uh, Bleeding Gums oh, doesn't like him. That's it's, true. <laughs> wow. Never thought of that. Uh, there's some really great animation of Lisa and Murphy playing the sax together. Like, it's it's really fun. Though, yeah, it also feels like the show would never spend two minutes of just, like, sax playing back and With, forth. Without jokes. Yeah. Without any jokes. Real, I mean, yeah. there are a few, but I mean, it is... Uh, uh, they would learn, like, okay, here... Like, here are ways to pack this with more jokes and moments and stuff. Mm. I still really liked it. Yeah, I mean, I love oh no, it's nice. quiet. I'm coming down against things. this episode, guys. <laughs> Thumbs down for me. No, no, I'm fine with that. I'm just, I'm just noticing, like, there's a bit more air. There's a bit more space mm. in it that uh, I feel like they would learn how to fill that better in, like, season two and three. Fair. But uh, but the air is a fun thing to experience in a show. But it's just not the Simpsons style. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to watch now. And uh, they they do stay pretty consistent in the series with Lisa's Lisa Sax is a baritone and Murphy's until his dying day is an alto sax, which uh, difference we did not note in that episode. And some sax oh. players uh, had had some notes for us. Who knew we had so many <laughs> sax players in the audience? <laughs> I mean, as much as it sort of makes you feel bad, I always enjoy when like an extremely niche group of people takes issue with something <laughs> <laughs> like, and I've had it happen with comics more than once. Um, but it it's always sort of like, I don't know, it's charming in a weird way. <laughs> You keep listing uh, sports things in the history segment, Henry, and that just like it's bait for people to correct us. I, I suppose so, but sometimes the history's thin, and I gotta go with the sports thing. <laughs> oh, and so then they play the the moaning Lisa blues, as the song is called, and uh, the Simpsons sing the blues soundtrack. Uh, I'm just gonna drop it in here because it's a long song. We, yeah. we don't need to sit here and listen to it.
so lonely since my baby left me. I got no money and nothing is free. Oh, I've been so lonely since the day I was born. All I got is this rusty, this rusty old horn. I got a bratty brother. He bugs me every day. And this morning, my own mother, she gave my last cupcake away. My dad acts like he belongs. He belongs in the zoo. I'm the saddest kid in grade number two. It's a fun song that I think is the first time they learned Lisa uh, Yardley Smith could sing really well. Like she's an underrated singer. Uh, she really performer. is. Yeah. She uh, like her her going back and forth with Ron Taylor, especially like a professional Broadway singer. Uh, it's she's able to keep up, I think, to a degree, while still maintaining the Lisa voice in in the scene. Yeah, it's like she still, you know, sounds like an untrained eight-year-old, but like <laughs> it's so charming. And when she does kind of the last couple notes on the like, I'm the saddest kid in great number two, like that's <laughs> that's great. That is good. I do yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, and uh, once the song's over, uh, they they have only a moment to celebrate before, yes, uh, Marge comes and ends it. You know, you play pretty well for someone with no real problems. Yeah, but I don't feel any better. The blues isn't about feeling better. It's about making other people feel worse and making a few bucks while you're at it. Which reminds me, if you're ever in the neighborhood, I'm playing in a little club called the Jazz Hole. Lisa, get away from that jazz man. Mom, can I <laughs> come on, come longer? On. We were worried about you. Nothing personal. I just fear the unfamiliar. <laughs> <laughs> And that he plays for like another five seconds. I think it's a, it's another like slow descend into the commercial break, uh, which you know is not a good or a bad choice, but definitely an un-Simpsons choice mm-hmm. for for later episodes. I just I love how bizarrely self-aware that joke is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I just fear the unfamiliar. Yeah. It's so funny. It was like. I laughed the hardest at that in this episode. <laughs> Marge is very upfront about how irrational she's being. Like, yeah. yeah, no offense. This is just I'm just afraid. <laughs> well, uh, I I do have theories about that from looking at the original script. That wasn't in there. Marge just says, you know, get away from that man. Like we gotta. I think perhaps it read as a maybe slightly yeah. prejudice or just yeah. judgy. So they adding a self aware line of Marge saying like, no offense. I just fear the unfamiliar. Here. Like, that's it, good. I think it works. I feel mm, like me too, it, yeah. it sort of is like a self dunk after get away from that jazz man, which is so clearly coded <laughs> that like yeah. it. I don't know. It redeems it in a weird way because it is so self-effacing. Yeah, yeah. Which again, it's uh, it's it's smarter writing for The Simpsons too, which is good instead of just the you know a normal show would have just had the mom Annika like get away from that strange man and just drive yeah. away like yeah mm-hmm. I think too you know Bleeding Gums Murphy teaches us all that you know it's never you always have to be promoting your own work if you're a freelance creator exactly. like he is exactly <laughs> it's like yeah come down Hey, you're eight. You're out walking around at night by yourself. Come down to the jazz hole. He would yeah. tell Lisa about his Patreon now. He would. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Uh, and of course, yes, the jazz hole. Yes, they, they celebrate that they got that on the air in the in the commentary. They're like, wow. <laughs> uh, so originally in the script, it's the smoky note. So I'm you know, glad they went with jazz. The hole. jazz jazz hole is disgusting, and uh, it, it's perfect for Fox. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's so gross. And uh, and you're right. Yeah, I think you know. Again, the the knowledgeable jazz man is quite a stereotype, but. I do like that he he does kind of just, you know, put Lisa in her place a little bit of just like if someone with no real problems. That's, it's, it's a good so line. It's so funny. It's so funny. Uh, so then we come back for break and learn that the uh, bar, Barney's Bolarama has burned down, which in like three <laughs> episodes, it'll be fine. A but. shocking joke where it's just like, you had so many plans for this Bolarama, but I guess uh, that shot of Homer eating pork rinds would be reused for the Blowfish episode where yes. he's like, I'm going to live every day to its fullest. And over the credits, he's eating the pork rinds and watching very bo- boring bowling. Yeah. <laughs> And I guess a simple joke, but light pork rinds is the yeah. Uh, the I, gag. I laughed at that too. I mean, like I, you know, I'm generally not a fan of any kind of like diet fat jokes kind of thing, but that was the concept of light pork rinds. It's sort of like good. seeing like organic Cheetos or baked yeah. Lay's or whatever. Yeah, it was really, yeah. it was very funny. Uh, you know, my recent Disneyland trip, I had some space pork rinds, the or Ooh. or chicharron. I guess uh, they're also called at the Star Wars land. Uh, at the same place, they sell Ronto roasters, which are their versions of hot dogs they also <laughs> they also sell these uh space pork they, they it's like have a little bit of cinnamon on Did them. they They're slaughter nice. the pigs in space to make those <laughs> well uh, obviously it's not a it's not a pig it's a magical mm, wonderful animal yes. from star wars i uh, i'm very excited to go back to star wars land um the best mocktail i've ever had i had in star wars land Ooh, and which one they i don't remember the name of it but it's the one that's got like uh chili habanero lime uh, salt on the rim and then it's like pomegranate juice and something else because it's like you know i don't drink and i find most mocktails to be pretty weak Mm -hmm. (laughs) and boring because i don't like really sugary drinks i want something that's kind of spicy um and yeah i was like obsessed with it and it's like six (laughs) dollars so it was awesome i uh i'm a big blue milk super fan now (laughs) i actually i drank i gave myself many a headache oh well no oh boy okay so there's there's two types of blue milk you can get there one that is kind of just coconut milk blueified and then has some extra stuff added into it Uh, that's that is gross (laughs) that's the one they sell in the cantina though blue milk they sell uh around outside the cantina and also green milk those are more like uh ices or slushies but they're not carbonated so it's like you know a frozen blue drink and oh i just love it like that's the okay, one so that it's gives sort of you like butter beer where you can get it in different forms yes different parts of the park. Yeah, yeah very much like i that. have a reservation for that place uh so i'm gonna get a nice tall glass of banthaweiser <laughs> uh the, the beers were unspectacular to me but you're more of a beer uh nowhere than i i'm also. sure they're all bad so i'll just get a cocktail <laughs> Uh, yes, they seemed cool. We yeah. uh, we got a, a Porg mug that I can see from where I'm sitting right now that was oh, yeah. uh, I have that that Cohen spent $35 on. And I was like, why? Why? <laughs> I I spent, my husband spent $35 on that and I spent 45 on the Tiki uh, cup as well. It was, it looks like it's carved by Ewoks. I mean, come on. <laughs> they got a really good first order uh, hoodie that's actually like a super nice hoodie. So I was, I was pleased. I don't think I bought anything in in Star Wars Land. This is Nat for remember. Disneyland now. We should, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, yes, Homer 
reacts to the bowling alley thing, which the the joke too is they say, you know, a museum burned down and all these other culturally important things burned down, but only when he hears the bowling alley does Homer jump up and like, oh no! Like, so, an under uh, delivered joke there, I think. And when Homer enters the kitchen, I think it's the first time the kitchen really looks like the kitchen to me. It's very fully formed, yeah. yeah. They, they nailed it. Finally, it looks like it, and that's where uh, Marge is like, oh c- no, Homer, I'm worried about Lisa, and uh, it's uh, it's a funny test that Marge gives Bart here of just like uh, telling him to to be a little nicer to, to Lisa and how he, you know, Bart refuses to go on the record that he loves his sister, but he's like, look, we all know it. Don't make me say this. <laughs> I thought that cute. was kind of sweet because he doesn't say like, no, I don't. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, OK, but like I'm a 10 year old boy or whatever. Like I, I, I enjoyed that. There's yeah. a, there's weird sweetness to these early episodes that's like, I don't know, sometimes the Simpsons can, especially later on, can get pretty cynical. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And I, I just, I like, there were a lot of little moments that were like genuinely sweet. And I thought that was cool. And uh, when Bart is assigned to be nicer to Lisa, he says, okie dokie. And that's the deep, deep trouble. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. I was like, why is that so familiar to me? <laughs> uh <laughs> But also, I love that the second Bart tries to be nice to Lisa, she sees through it instantly. Is just like, I don't want your pity. Like, she- <laughs> <laughs> that's a great yeah. line. I don't want your pity. Yeah, so great. But uh, but Bart knows just how to cheer her up in this next clip. Hi, man. I don't want your pity. Well, come on, I'll cheer you up. How? Yeah, most have it. Most speaking. Shock there. Who? Shock. Last name Strap. Uh, hold on. Uh, jock strap. Hey guys, I'm looking for a jock strap. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Jock strap. It's you, isn't it, you cowardly little runt? When I get a hold of you, I am gonna gut you like a fish and drink your blood. <laughs> Where's your sense of humor, man? Also sampled. Yeah, that's right. Lisa, you'll be late for band practice. Let's go. So yeah, a uh, very odd scene though because it's all like front facing Mo, so he's he very like nuts. one sad ape like dude. <laughs> I really enjoyed how there's a guy at the counter that's just Barney, but like recolored, like his his hair is the same color as his flesh, but it's just Barney. They haven't figured out <laughs> Mo's yet because there's still like uh, an ante room or like an entrance way and then there's a swinging doors into Mo. There's like an entrance yeah. room with like cigarette machines and stuff, but mm. yeah, go back to our Homer's Odyssey episode. We talked all about the tube bar tapes mm-hmm. that spawn this whole bit and read from the tube bar, the cantankerous old bartender <laughs> who uh, sound like he had a throat full of gravel, but a heart of gold. I, I think Gene and Reese were the writers who liked it the most. Uh, these the the prank calls and i think it's reese who on a future commentary goes like eventually you realize like these are a lot of work and nobody loves them why are we why are you doing they're only the the funniest ones are where they're subverted like i'm you jazz yeah yeah (laughs) oh yeah i love those (laughs) uh but the at least it's a great animation of like mo screaming into the phone and bart rolling on the floor like it's weird as hell and way off model but it's great animation anyway yeah and uh, so then we cut to the first appearance of Noiseland Arcade, the yes. regular arcade of The Simpsons. Previously, I believe in Bart the General, it was called just the Video Arcade. Yes, yeah. Though they didn't visit it, it was just named off screen. Not the yeah. non-video arcade, the vi- the one with video <laughs> in it. So, such an old person writing a arcade yeah. thing, yeah. Uh, but Noiseland is a cute joke, and I think, you know, they should have had a scene where Homer says... 
or I'm surprised they didn't have a scene where Homer realizes he needs help or he should go to an arcade to mm. get the elite skills of a gamer and, and learn the tips and tricks. Uh, but, uh, you know, now these days he just put on a YouTube video about like, you know, frames, uh, jumps or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Frame yeah, counting. Speed runs. Mm-hmm. But I love the, the kid in the arcade because it's so, <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> the fact that he also doesn't have fully rendered eyes. No, it's um, creepy. Is something I enjoy. They're just like these weird little dots. So it's like, is he from the computer? Yes, uh, I guess R.I.P. Howie, who would make yeah. his only appearance, and he was supposed to be like a Corey Feldman type. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did the write, cool kid. I did write down all of the uh, the arcade names I could read because a lot of them are just frankly illegible. I think they would learn a lot about uh, how to you know produce sight gags or sign gags rather, so the audience can actually read them. But uh, we have Freeway, Escape from Grandma's House Two, Dementor, Time Waste, Itchy versus Scratchy, Pack Rat, Captain. Noisy, Crush the Rebels, Nuclear Winner, Robert Goulet Destroyer, my favorite, and Eat My Shorts. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I caught I caught Escape from Grandma's House too, but that was the only one. Uh, the time we're doing it, this time I have a bigger TV and I could read more of them. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, well, these are jokes, though, that Disney Plus will also maybe crop out too. Oh, yeah. Like, I never thought uh, of that. Uh, I used my DVD. Yeah, I did watch it at SD on my DVD as well. Uh, no. I watched it on Disney Plus and they were all still there. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. I, I, uh, so some of those, uh, Escape from Grandma's House, Nuclear Winter, those are in the script, uh, as is Robert Goulet Destroyer. And Bob, you had asked me specifically to get a, a one clip from when Homer walks by the machine. Yes, they're, they're like, I couldn't make out what is happening, but a sound effect plays as he walks by <laughs> Robert Goulet Destroyer. Yes. Uh, here, I'll play it, and then I do have an answer to it. <laughs> one more time. <laughs> Still can't figure it out. So uh, I couldn't either. But once I read what was in the script, it now makes sense. Robert Goulet Destroyer was totally in the uh, script. It is a very Gene and Reese celebrity joke that they love to make. Like critic is all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the joke is that Dan Castellaneta is pretending to be Robert De- Goulet singing the Goulet classic. I gotta be me. Yeah. But he is exploded during the time he sings it. So he's saying, I gotta be me. Ah! That is the sound. That's nuts. Like we unlocked a secret joke, but yeah. the, in the animation, that's not happening. It's just like a little stick figure None in the of background. It comes through. Yeah. Wow, play it again. I, I do want to hear it again. I'm sorry. Okay. Yep. It like I only know that the way you're saying because you explained it to me. So, exactly. Man, I love finding new jokes in these. So, uh, so shout to the Raptors people. We found a new joke. <laughs> <laughs> now I uh, I think it this is one of those moments where in a script it makes so much sense but just through all the other places it has to go the animators you know they drew it into the background but they uh, how do they show Rabu Goulet on screen with the sound they have and yeah it's mixed really low and it's just they learn a lot about how to present a background joke like that after yeah I mean overthinking this I think like Homer would be walking t- uh, past the arcade cabinets as he passes that one he would walk off screen and they would sort of zoom into that you would see the parody yeah i think yeah. that would be how they would do it in the future and i think we actually would see would see escape from grandma's house in uh, the future like 
Uh, it's when uh, you're shooting with like a shotgun. Yes, yeah. That's uh, we saw it in Bart gets an F. That's he's, right. He's distracting himself uh, instead of studying, which uh, I would never do with a video game. Also, to get very granular, arcade games there were not arcade perfect ports uh, on the NES. So I think skills he would learn in the arcade version, you know, some of those strategies wouldn't uh, transfer over. That's I mean, true. Also, Ar- there's yeah. no two player version of Punch Out anyway. Yeah, arcade Punch Out is very different than Mike Tyson's Punch Out. I will yes, say that. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, this is even before like two player games were so simple back then. The kind of strategies Howie is teaching Homer are not uh, really applicable to like karate fight back then. Or I guess, no, it was just karate, wasn't it? But yes, why do we hear Homer learn some elite gaming skills at the arcade from one Howie? Well, looks like you're a lot of quarters, old man. That's okay. With the tips you've given me, I'm going to pound the tar out of a certain little smarty pants tonight. (laughs) Howie, I thought I told you to stop wasting your money in this stupid place. Uh, Sorry, Mom. And you, a man of your age, you should be ashamed of yourself. Excuse me, I think I hear my wife calling. (laughs) Also, I like the cashier before this who mocks Homer, just like, I think you really should use that for laundry. That should be the Bronson guy, but they didn't have it. Yeah, he wasn't around (laughs) yet. That mother should be suspicious about a man hanging out alone with her son all night. Is that why Homer said, I think I hear my wife calling? Like, no, I'm a married man. This is nothing weird is going on here. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, I do want to talk about the voice of Howie here. I did a little research on this. Oh, please. This is the only appearance in the show the voice actress susan blue Hmm. she is most famous i think she is one of the many saturday morning voice actors that sam simon rejected and only used once you know just like uh, miriam flynn we talked about earlier susan blue what an amazing uh, life she has led like she's most famous uh, to at least to my generation as the voice of rc in the original transformers Mm, and I, i know we have a transformers writer on this episode here right That's me <laughs> uh did, did you ever write a scene for rc in your time uh no we when we did cyberverse um she she was i think off the table in terms of characters we were we were to use because uh, uh-huh. that one was mostly windblade and and a couple of other characters that i turned into girls because i'm just like that because <laughs> <laughs> originally there was like two in the whole series and mm. i got five in there i was very proud <laughs> um and yeah the comic we did recently was just like cliff jumper and death saurus which is the best name for a character um so yeah not yet although my friend sam Meggs has done some stuff with rc i think uh she's she's a very complicated character in transformers mm. I, <laughs> very complicated you know i my expertise on transformers kind of ends with the g1 and g2 mm. uh but yeah rc in in my childhood rc was the the lone female transformer like oh yeah (laughs) and then they did this whole thing in the comics at one point with this writer that the transformers wiki which is honestly like one of my favorite places on the internet because it's so snarky (laughs) and hilarious and surprisingly um like progressive (laughs) and inclusive uh transformers has a very good fandom it's it's interesting um there one writer who did some really messed up like uh, gen forcible gender changing like really messed up very accidentally transphobic stuff with with that character so a lot of people don't really want to touch her for that reason uh, um but also because she was you know such a smurfette um yeah. mm-hmm. of, of that you know particular generation <laughs> yeah i think susan blue does a great job with her voice in the original in in transformers the movie like she's yeah she's really great she also uh she worked on 
on a lot of the the Marvel production shows. She's I think her second most famous character is in the original Gem and the Holograms. She's <laughs> Stormer in the Misfits. Ooh, that's yeah, that's a big one for me. So she was in in the Hasbro click <laughs> yes yeah, yeah well, i know well <laughs> uh and also susan blue a thing i found out from doing research on her to try to find some interview with her because i was like did she ever talk about the simpsons in any interview couldn't find one but she did an interview with the advocate and she is an out lesbian too oh so. interesting oh, fuck yeah okay. yeah, Hell big, yeah big thumbs up to susan blue then there i believe she's still active she in the article she talks about how you know the the wide range of fans she meets at like botcon and in the transformers fandom it's it's really awesome. sweet but uh, i had no idea this was uh, the voice of howie yeah I, uh, and it's her That's only great. Uh, actually she was in one other episode i should have mentioned her in the bartha general episode uh she voices the weasels in that oh, episode. oh yeah the, the sidekicks of months voice is very similar yes yep. yeah but uh, unfortunately susan blue did not stick around afterwards but she's she's still at it a very uh, accomplished voice actress and yeah if especially if you you'd like to read about her career and you know her her journey as a closeted actress in the 80s to you know being an out and proud woman now uh oh, that yeah. that advocate interview is really worth looking up it's Susan B-L-U, Blue. Yeah, I'm like legitimately going to go look because that <laughs> that's really cool. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so the scene ends with Homer leaving with his tips and tricks. And uh, then we get, you know, a, a lengthy scene with Marge and Lisa, which I think, you know, the way it starts with just awkward silence in a car with your parents, like I think that's a very well observed uh, like start to a scene there. Marge gives Lisa a, some uh, very bad advice. <laughs> Now, Lisa, listen to me. This is important. I want you to smile today. But I don't feel like smiling. Well, it doesn't matter how you feel inside, you know. It's what shows up on the surface that counts. That's what my mother taught me. Take all your bad feelings and push them down, all the way down, past your knees until you're almost walking on them. And then you'll fit in, and you'll be invited to parties, and boys will like you. And happiness will follow. No, oh, come on, you can do better than that. Oh, that's my girl. I feel more popular already. <laughs> oh, I feel so sad for Lisa in that moment because, like, the the one person she's counting on to understand her, it just kind of betrays her here with just like, just smile until you do feel like smiling. Like, uh, it's so sad. In the script, her speech is virtually the same, except for the reference to her mother. She does not say that's what my that's mother told right. me. Yeah. Because that was added. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, yeah, right. I think that makes all the difference in her speech because it, it the least it, it makes more sense for Marge's emotional turn in this moment and I think, you know, I think it really says so much about her that she's like, that's what my mother taught me. And then how she says, and happiness will follow. That, I think, explains why she's always believed that. Because she's like, well, if I'm unhappy, I'll act happy until I feel happy again. Hmm. And it'll lead to being happy again. Like, that's, that is the explanation of like, well, it ultimately pays off to repress your emotions. Because it'll you'll get all that happiness if you stop. Uh, acting like you're unhappy it's so rough yeah and that uh, people liking you is more important than your own feelings too oh, yeah. it's like and yeah, the, pe- yeah. yeah. The, the just like 
the follow-up of these kids also being incredibly on the nose with the things they're saying. It's like, oh, oh you yeah. smiled for two seconds. <laughs> I like you now. Yeah. We need to wrap this story up. And they, yep. <laughs> and then they are instantly planning to take advantage of her, too. Yeah, it's like, oh, look, like, a doormat. Yeah, yeah. Someone mm-hmm. searching for my approval, I can use them. Which they may they joke on the commentary that they're like, well, Marge has really good hearing as uh-huh. all this goes on. Uh, but uh, also in the script, it's only Ralph who is talking to her. Largo doesn't come in. And I think Largo's bit of like, so that's where she gets it. Very sitcom line, but I, I think it's at least kind of funny. Now, that's that that is what put Marge over the edge. Not a school yeah. chum, but seeing a teacher tell her like, enough of this free will, right? And mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, because it's like, okay, I can I can deal with these kids being idiots, but like this is a person in a position of authority, you know. It's mm-hmm. like, come on. And uh, so, yes, Marge, I, you know, some some bits work better than this, but I do, to me, watching it this time, Marge's extreme reaction of saving her daughter from a life of repression, it does make me misty a little bit. Like, Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, 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 it works. It works. Yeah. I'm glad they let it be Marge who saves the day, too. That yeah. this, you know, a show that always wants to do stuff with the boys, that they're like, Marge should save the day. And Marge and Lisa learn a lesson together. I really liked again like this is my other favorite part of the episode <laughs> uh, but uh, but here's the, uh, the 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 big moment here hey why don't you come over to my house after practice you can do my homework okay <laughs> five minutes people five minutes now Miss Simpson I hope we won't have a repeat of yesterday's outburst of unbridled creativity no sir <laughs> <laughs> So that's where she gets it. <laughs> Lisa, I apologize to you. I was wrong. I take it all back. Always be yourself. You want to be sad, honey? Be sad. We'll write it out with you. And when you get finished feeling sad, we'll still be there. From now on, let me do the smiling for both of us. Okay, Mom. I said you could stop smiling, Lisa. I feel like smiling. Aww. It's a good, uh, I mean, it's a good solution in that it's like, well, Marge is not saying, well, here's our, here are ways to not be sad. She's just saying it's okay to be sad, yeah. which is an important lesson. Yeah. And then there's also that like tinge of, of extra sadness where she's like, I'll do the smiling for, for you. Like, I still have to be like this. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. Which it's is a nice interesting. touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's, Marge is like, it didn't teach her to show her emotions yet, but she's like, you know what? I've, I've repressed enough for two people. I can do it for both. Yeah. Of she's us. like, well, like I'm just too damaged at this point to yeah. change them in the way I am, but I don't want to pass this down to my child. <laughs> But, like, uh, there's something very valuable in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I and, and that's as far as Marge can go in this moment, too, which, like, yeah. I, and I love that that does help Lisa feel, like, smiling or she feels accepted enough like that. But it's not, you know, a magic you know, wand that fixed everything for her. But she, she just says, I feel like smiling. And uh, that line wasn't there in the script. There's an equivalent line that actually is supposed to go at the end of their jazz club sequence. She's like, after seeing the musicians play, she 
she's like, you know, now I feel like smiling. But I think it's way, I think it's better to put it there and have mm. it be a hinge more on the margin lease interaction. Yeah, it, it works so much better here. But at the same time, like there's no button to end the uh, episode on. There's no like moment. But yeah. I mean, I do like it here. I prefer mm-hmm. it here. It's very sweet. I think it's it's a nice and like the fact that all she needed was someone to accept her for it instead of trying to solve it is like you know really insightful (laughs) and and i feel like there are moments in shows where i feel like oh man i I really hope some parent watching this took something from this and and i i feel it it, that might have happened from this because it it is a really good way of dealing with a kid who is sad (laughs) (laughs) then in a weird editing choice the whole episode has been doing dissolves to the next scene but this one does just smash cut to well not even smash cut but like it just cuts to Barton Homer. Just like the music plays you into the next Barton Homer scene, but there's no dissolve or fade or anything. It's nice. And yeah. they're back to playing Slugfest again. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and so, yeah, Homer thinks he's going to get Bart. He's uh, he's showing off his skills and uh, Bart doesn't know what to do. And Homer is really feeling himself in, uh, in this final audio clip here. Tonight's not your night. All right, man, you asked for it. No more, Mr. Nice Guy. Aha, uh-huh, blocked it. Ha-ha, <laughs> <laughs> you missed me. <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> I got you. Oh, go, 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 Oh, no! <laughs> my game! My game! I could have beat the boy, Marge. How could you? I was so close. I'm sorry, but this is more important than that silly loud game. You're right, Mom. I just like to use this occasion to announce my retirement undefeated from the world of video boxing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, calm down, Homer. Lisa has an idea that she thinks will be fun for the whole family. <laughs> That was the first, like, uh, rage quit by proxy. Like, yeah. someone else is mad. <laughs> <laughs> and they quit your game for uh, you. I mean, you know, as a young person, I knew the pain of saying, like, please, just let me get to a save point. No, turn off game. And you're just you're dead inside. You're just like, no, no. Like, And, man, Dan is really figuring out, like, Homer here. Like, these kinds of, like, oh, moans no. and yeah. screams. Like, the high-pitchedness. Like, this isn't really figuring out the the funny high pitch places Homer can go in his misery instead of like just being a guy who's like Rawr! all the time. Yeah, it's it's very good. <laughs> uh, just as like uh, the, on the commentary, Gene makes a great point of just like if your father actually started like weeping on the floor after losing a video game, you'd, <laughs> it'd, it'd be a dark moment for the family. I am sure that has happened to a lot of young people. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> today, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the. And as a kid, I loved the line that like Bart, Bart still wins in the end because he's like, oh, yeah, I'm never playing this video game again (laughs) because I know you can beat me. So I retire undefeated, like a great extra rub in on Homer there. It's very, yeah. I like I liked that a lot too. Just seizing the opportunity. And the final fight in it too, like great posing on the Bart character getting like beaten up. It's I, I have to be careful on phrasing of this because it'll just sound like I'm saying like and then Homer punched Bart some more and then like no. Blood no, no, no. and teeth everywhere. Blood and teeth. Well yeah, I found like 
I felt like they were being, and maybe this is just me reading into it, but felt like they were being really careful when Homer's in the arcade and like everything he says is like so close to being like, I'm going to get home and beat my kid tonight. <laughs> you know, like, but it's just like, I'm going to be a little, whatever it is that he says, but it's like not quite. And he doesn't say kid. And it's like. Mm, like a it's, certain it's, little smarty pants. Yeah. Yeah. A certain it. little smarty pants where it's like, it's skirting the line. Just, <laughs> which I, yeah, it's good. And I also really love, there's some great posing on Bart when he's like in trouble. He's like, whoa, hey, man, whoa. The way he moves around the joystick is really, is really fun. It's, uh, there's some, some more great animation in there that I think is, uh, gonna credit to Baezar, uh, Vanzo. But, you know, there's, there's two other animators on there. I may be, uh, hurting them by overlooking their work, but, uh, they didn't direct future episodes, so I don't have to remember their names. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> And so, yes, then we go to the jazz hole and um, two minutes of, of music. I, I clipped it all down. Wow. The, the ending wow. is it's a full two minutes. And then it's it's Ron Taylor as uh, Bleeding Gums Murphy performing the Moaning Lisa Blues. And, the one the one yeah. joke I do like is uh, the line about Homer that Homer listens to. It's like <laughs> my uh, my dad acts like he belongs in he belongs in a zoo. Like Homer is following the line up until that. And then he's surprised when he hears belong in belongs in a zoo he's like what what yeah not even like a shout he's like what that's great it's just like it's just like an understated what like it's it's very yeah it's that that's like the last joke Mm. in the episode kind of yeah yeah and i like the vamping too that ron taylor kind of puts in those lines too like my daddy belongs like it's it's a weird uh, it's it's an interesting like jazzy choice i guess you'd say i can tell you on february 11th 1990 we were all singing this on the school bus Mm, oh yeah in my my neck of the woods (laughs) i remembered all the words to this and i don't think i've seen it in a decade (laughs) i was in grade number two in this episode i think i was you we're not Henry. I know uh, your history. Oh yes, that's right. We're you we graduated one year apart, though there were six months difference in age, or four <laughs> months. Four, four months. months. Age, a very yes. important amount of months. <laughs> uh, we're the same person in a lot of ways, but uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, this uh, this music sequence it's it's long. They really in, enjoy it. Like I I like the designs on his backing band. The one guy who's like wearing like a Russian ziggurat on his head or yeah. something. That's a weird hat choice. And there. they were still. Two guys that are just the exact same model. Like, <laughs> and also they were kind of thinking like, well, what do we end on like over the credits? Uh, because I think previously we had a shot of the house at night instead of just like the classic b- black background with the credits. So here we have the credits over the jazz hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, again, if you don't count the Christmas episode because it came first in air order, but eighth in production, this is the first time the credits were different than just the regular music over the words. Like they, they change the credits to be just, you know, the full saxophone solo that plays over the credits. And it's really great. I think it's uh, it just as music, like I, I'm no jazz expert, but I think it's a really great like song that takes us out. Yeah, it's sweet. And it, it very much is like, I don't know, it, it keeps you in that sense of like, this episode was kind of different. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. they're they're not all just going to be jokes. Yeah. I mean, all of the uh, the lowbrow viewers waiting for Al Bunny to show up and flush a toilet were treated to some NPR caliber entertainment. And they needed that in their lives. Uh, and, and I like our final shot of Lisa is just like her kind of happy and just watching jazz, like holding her head like, yeah, mm, like she's she's so entertained. And that's a it's a great place to to leave Lisa for for an episode that begins with her just, you know, blankly staring, staring in a mirror. In a mirror. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. That's interesting because it is sort of a mirror. It's a it, anyway, it, that's neat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I think I think this is a good episode that would really show them the future of what they wanted to do with Lisa. And I think this was like them discovering what the character of Lisa Simpson could be and to an extent Marge. And then plus, like as as a hardcore gamer, I think this is one of like <laughs> the best encapsulations of what gaming can mean to you in 1990 that you would see I think. yeah i don't have a lot more final thoughts to that i just feel like this would establish a good template for a lisa episode and also really establishes her character and i think that this is one of the few lisa episodes where she gets to win or That's like true. Uh, she's not yeah. like a failure like learning through <laughs> failure she gets a little success in this or uh, at least learn something and you know is able to feel better so i do like it for that uh she's not abandoned by mr bergstrom or whatever like there's no tragedy it's just yeah. like a nice a nice happy moment at the end it's not a humbling for her like the solution yeah. is not like oh you know get off your high horse or whatever it's like she finds comfort and she you know i think it's it's sweet yeah it's so many times she has to learn the like well mr bergstrom's gonna leave you or you gotta give up your horse to help your dad or mm-hmm. you're actually selfish and your dad is nice for taking you to anything ever. That was a really bad lesson in yeah, that episode. Yeah, lost, <laughs> not Lost Our Lisa, uh, whatever that was called. Uh, uh, no, this Lost Our Lisa sequel. Was yeah. That, or Lost Our Lisa, her lesson was to be more like Homer and, and loosen up, which, I, you know, that's a fun lesson at least. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, you're right. This is one where Lisa can finally just, she's just happy. She just ends with her being happy, not put in her place. Yeah. And I, I think that's cool and definitely does not always happen. So, yeah, Kate, you've been with us for so long. Thank you for your time yes, uh, this morning. Uh, please plug whatever you want. You're working on so much stuff. You've got your uh, great comic. You've got a Patreon. you got a lot of stuff going on. So many things. Um, so I don't know when this one will uh, go up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm uh, so I do a comic called Valley Ghouls that goes up uh, Monday through Friday on uh, Webtoon and Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can find me anywhere on the Internet, basically at Kate Left. Uh, my last name's L-E-T-H. Yeah, pretty much. KateLeft.com has links to everything. And uh, I'm KateLeft on Instagram. Uh, and then I've got a couple of issues of Transformers, actually, coming out soon that I Ooh. co-wrote with my partner, Cohen. It's Galaxies number five and six, I think. I might have got that wrong. That might have been Sam's issues. But if you look it up, you'll find it. Um, awesome. And those are going to be really fun. And I'm going to be at Emerald City in Seattle in March. Uh, and I think that's all the big stuff that's happening right now. Oh yeah, my Patreon is where I have extra bonus comics and behind the scenes stuff and all kinds of weird random things and also porn. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can find that uh, at patreon.com slash kateleth or at bisexual.zone. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for your time. Yes, thank you. Thank you. This is always such a treat. So thanks so much to Kate Leth for joining us. Please check out all of her stuff. And as for us, if you want to support our show and get extra episodes on top of that and access to shows a week in advance, go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. If you sign up for $5, you'll get just that, but also access to everything behind the $5 paywall. There was so much stuff going on behind that paywall. If you like listening to us talk about old cartoons there are so many episodes you haven't heard including all of our limited miniseries including all of our limited miniseries the most recent of which was talking futurama season two part one there will be two more miniseries coming up in 2020 that's only for five dollar and up patrons and also we have other stuff on there like interviews our most recent one went up a few days ago with jay kogan Woo! 
Yes, uh, yeah. season one to four writer. And we talk so much and we learn so many new things. Mm-hmm. And we never think we can learn new things, but we are always <laughs> proven wrong by these yeah. great writers who come on our show. So if you sign up for that, the $5 level, you'll get access to that interview and 19 others with Simpsons uh, All-Stars. Mm-hmm. Really good deal. Uh, plus, at the $10 level, you can get our monthly What a Cartoon Movie podcast. All that $5 stuff. And on top of that, our monthly What a Cartoon podcast, where we talk about a different anime feature film once a month, often for over four hours long. This month, we're doing The Great Mouse Detective, the Disney classic, all about rats who solve crime. <laughs> and I think you'll really enjoy that, as well as the many we did before. So please check out at the $10 and $5 level all the cool stuff we've put out at patreon.com slash talking simpsons as for me i've been one of the hosts bob Mackey. find me on twitter as bob servo i have another podcast by the way that is retronauts uh that is a classic gaming podcast going on since 2006 you can find that wherever you find podcasts but also we have a patreon and that is patreon.com slash retronauts and if you go over there and sign up at the five dollar level you'll have access to two patreon exclusive episodes every month at patreon.com slash retronauts henry how about you you can follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Anytime there's new Henry Gilbert stuff going on, I tweet about it there. Plus, you should be following the official Twitter account of this podcast, at Talk Simpsons Pod. Anytime new stuff goes up on the Patreon or on the free feed, or other news happens for us, we're sure to tweet about it at, at Talk Simpsons Pod. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week for our monthly community podcast, and we will see you then. I got this bratty brother. Bugs me every day And this morning my old mother Gave my last cupcake away My dad acts like he belongs, y'all He belongs in the zoo What? I'm the saddest kid In grade number two keys. Who stole my keys? Come on, I'm late for work. Oh, Homer, you'd lose your head if it weren't securely fastened to your neck. Did you check the den? The den! Great idea!